Your attention is precious. Pulled in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the benefit of Blue. Learn more at BenefitOfBlueSC.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both a pleasure and an honor to introduce my next guest. He spent eight years in the SEAL teams and was a medic <laughs> and a medic instructor. <laughs> as you can see, the level of maturity is, uh, is at its utmost. He spent two years at Blackwater, uh, both in the training and curriculum development department. He spent four years as a CIA contractor, which was super two years super secret squirrel. <laughs> Two years instructing case officers and two years as a high threat protection agent. He is the co-host of the Team Never Quit podcast with Marcus Luttrell. And he is the owner and founder at Frog Logic Concepts, which is a motivational coaching and performance company. He has inspired professional sports teams, Fortune 500 companies, MMA pro fighters, and most importantly, kids. Last but not least, Captain Ahab once played him in fucking Moby Dick. <laughs> Welcome, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the stage, Dave Rutherford. Oh, my brother, that's my, epic, dude. My man, uh, you know that's kind of turned Captain into my thing. Ahab, yeah, dude, played, played you. Fuck the most interesting man in the world, brother. Yeah, that's right, dude. One of my favorite books all time, man. And and the fact that I can be in the same <laughs> spectrum in your mind of that's right. of, of Captain. A oh. And he's a deep character. He's deep, deep, deep. dude. There's a lot of there's a lot of similarities and uh, and parallels between old Ahab and a lot of team guys. I mean, oh that's my the fucking God. truth, right? Yep, that's why we're sucked into yeah, that book, know, aren't we? I know it. How uh, you doing, man? You look good. By I, the way, I tell you, bro. I feel good. It's, yeah, I mean, uh, for forty. Great. Yeah, for you, yeah, you're for, looking. I mean, you barely look fifty, <laughs> which says a lot in your line of work. It's fucking. Uh, I get that shit all the time. Like I can't tell you the last time somebody guessed my age, either close to where I'm at or or younger. Like, it's always at least seven, eight years older than I actually am. I mean, for the last 15 fucking years, that's been the case. But Dude, it's hard living, yeah, brother. I mean, it's, it's fucking distinguished. It's weathered. You know, I've earned all the creases, whatever you want to say. But <laughs> um, one of the things, so just uh, for the audience, you know, Dave, he had me on the Team Never Quit podcast. What was it, a year and a half ago or About so? A year, yeah, you were one of, in our first kind of slew of gas, man. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's, I say it's a pleasure and an honor. I don't say that, you know, I don't invite people on here that, that it's not a pleasure and an honor, but you know, for me, it, it really and truly is 
very special to me to you know yeah. to be able to you know have you on my show now you know here a year and a half later because you're a phenomenal fucking host uh you know it's an epic podcast if you've not checked it out fucking choke yourself and then go check it out dude we're up we're coming up on a hundred man yeah i mean that's that's fucking nuts it's nuts right yeah but to have you you know sit across here in person and and take the time out of your fucking nutso schedule man i appreciate the hell out of you being here thank you for coming oh i mean mike we go back to the day 1990 1998 seven or eight yeah yeah 1998 sqt and that crazy class i know it and we've I, I I take a step back and I think about the profound nature of our all of our experiences, right? All the guys that we were core group of friends in that in that crew. And you think about what we've gone through and it's 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 important. I mean it's not insignificant, if you will, right? And and when you look at I, I tend to as you know, or as your guests might not know, I'm, I'm a little positive every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> and so what I really love to see are individuals that have taken those core experiences and, and not kind of remain in that silo of identity, right? Mm-hmm. And really have grown. Yeah. And you are one of those dudes, brother. Shit, I, I learned yeah. from you. I mean, like you, you wrote the book on it literally and figuratively, <laughs> you know, before I ever, you know, really even thought about doing it. So, I mean... I appreciate you saying that, but uh, I mean, I think you know you and, and a handful of other guys have have set the example as to how to do that. So thank you. Uh, it, it's humbling to hear you say that. Um, one thing that I, I have, in some respects, stolen from my experience on your guys's podcast is the lightning round. Now, yeah. now, now, yeah. now, now I, I've I've <laughs> twisted and distorted the shit out of it. Uh, I, I think yours is probably uh, better than uh, ours. I mean, what's your what's your favorite superhero character? That's getting old, isn't yeah. it? Well, no, no, no offense, Marcus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to me, I well, truth be told, other than one one question, I, I mix up. You know, there's a couple questions I'll ask most people, but I I try to do almost a lightning round in my own head. <laughs> Of, I mean, honestly, like, I'll think, what is the most ridiculous fucking thing I can ask somebody? <laughs> and and the reason why is, you know, you know, from being on lots and, and, and running a hundred of them is that, you know, when, when you get a guest on here, not that there's any mental block on your end, but but just, you know, when, when you get thrown a fucking total loop, especially if it's funny, yes. like it, it just, it, it relaxes things and, and it gets Rapport, fucking, th- yeah, I mean, it gets things flowing and yeah. it breaks the ice. And especially when, when you're doing it in person, which is my gig is, is, you know, every one of these episodes is in person and, and I plan on maintaining that. Should but, we tell them about the four hour conversation we just had I mean, before we got yeah, on yeah. here? <laughs> so, yeah. So that's the other thing that you, you and I are both guilty of in, in running podcasts is the guests come in this, you know, for the listeners, a little inside tip is, or, or here's the behind the scenes reality is that every fucking time somebody comes up here, like I'm constantly trying to force myself to start the episode before we spend three, four hours shooting the shit prior to, which is exactly what happened today. <laughs> you know, like, and then the cool thing yeah. is though with you and, yeah. and I is that it doesn't even matter because yeah. we, we, we haven't even our, touched on, no, I know. you we, know, we can run our mouth for fucking ever. So <laughs> that's the beauty of it. So that's you're, what you're my in for it. Always used to say, yeah. <laughs> He was fucking spot on, but uh, all right. So my right. lightning round—it's not just three questions, and they're and they're totally random. Some are serious, some are not. But we're all gonna right. get right into it. Send are, it. Are you ready, dude? All right. Fired up. What's your favorite type of cookie? Favorite type of cookie is oatmeal raisin. 
right? Because I, I like to, and it's only like with those rolled steeled oats, you know, that you yeah. can get in the, the, the cool organic section because I, I trick myself into believing that if I eat 25 of those fuckers, <laughs> like be, I'm still good, like I'm still healthy, yeah. right? Yeah. If you eat the chocolate chip yeah. or you go with the sugar, uh, you feel like a, a, a total, uh, you know, like you're destroying yourself but those oatmeal like i'm healthy yeah it's gonna keep you regular and it's and it's raisins so it's practically grapes i mean you're kind of eating a fruits fruit and granola salad really that's what's happening Dude, exactly exactly <laughs> i thought you were gonna go with fortune for you know but no no no, no. i can't can't handle the fortune cookie no i can't they suck for me <laughs> all right hey fair enough no snickerdoodles no no nope, i'm pretty basic classic man. oatmeal raisin i'm not i don't have a sweet tooth bro. Ho- homemade or an actual brand homemade, homemade. i love the homemade cookies man right. my, my ex made a great homemade oatmeal cookie and and uh that was about it but <laughs> shout, shout <laughs> maybe we ought to delete on that one yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's not getting edited yeah. out <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 varsity team. Yeah, guess, it is. Man. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But no, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it, that thing. It was just something homey about it. And there's something like she would send them when I was working for the agency. She'd yeah. send them over, and it was just something about a nice homemade cookie, man. That yeah. just feels good. I think you could go somewhere else without a nice homemade cookie. <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Don't you worry. You know what? As I go back and, you know, re-listen to a bunch of your shows before, you, you like to skirt that fringe of oh, sexual yeah. innuendo. Yeah. I like I mean, And I me. like that, bro. That's my life. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, uh, here's, the, here's the no the no bullshit. I'm holding back. Like, I mean, how many team guys you know that won't turn, I mean, turn anything into some way to... <laughs> To make an innuendo out of it. I mean, I mean, you can you can answer almost any question when somebody asks where something is or what about this. If there's a what or a why, bend over and I'll show you. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's the, it's the best way to answer that. Like, and, and as recently uh, divorced uh, males, former team guys, I think it, it's much more poignant now in our lives, is. right? Absolutely, it is. Yeah. <laughs> hey, where's the coffee? Fucking bend over and I'll show you. Like. And it's never not funny, even in court or being pulled, <laughs> being pulled over. I mean, it's there's no inappropriate time for that. Negative. All right. Uh, what is the most embarrassing moment you've ever had? I was 13. I was at the Battle of Bands in Boca Raton, Florida. I was with my best friend, Rich Critchfield. It was back in the days of day glow surfer gear, right? And we had these jams shorts that went down to our knees, big baggy. I was wearing the day glow green. He was the day glow orange, whatever like rip curl OP shirt we had. I'm up on top of a cooler jamming out to the local horrible bands from, you know, Boca High and the other places. Lights flip on. I'm still up there. Rich comes up behind me, de-shorts me, right? There I am screams look at me <laughs> and we were with these two girls right right with these two girls oh. you know a couple hundred dudes turn around i'm standing there my teeny little you know briefs on right 13 and not much changed <laughs> since then but <laughs> that was it and i was mortified like yeah. it was one of those moments where i'm like holy sweet jesus because i still cared right yeah. i still cared yeah. about yeah. now you don't give per- a fuck. i don't care at all right? i can care less so and I chased him, and he was faster than I was. Still with your shorts down? No, I, I yeah. yanked him up. Otherwise, that would have been hilarious. But and I chased him, and and he finally like he just couldn't keep running because he was laughing so hard. The two girls we were with laughing so hard, 
And that was mortifying, man. Oh, and damn. it's still like I can I can feel the your palms are sweaty. Oh, talking bro, about. it's just I got my pits just start getting wet, dude. Like everybody always got like when you talk about that stuff, people are like, well, in the teams, and I was like, I was never embarrassed about yeah, anything. I, I did. Yeah, I could care less about anything. So oh, that's great. And shit. now I intentionally try to be yeah. stupid in front of my girls. Oh, you yeah. know, I try yeah. and embarrass them constantly. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's fucking great. <laughs> All right, so next question is, worst place on earth you've ever been slash had diarrhea? Oh, that's, that's a great question, man. But before you answer that, I just noticed that I'm going to let everybody in on a secret. I wrote these notes uh, after about 11 days on the road, late at night. <laughs> I was tired and fucking delirious. I, I just want to tell you how I spelled diarrhea now that I'm looking at it. It's D-I-A-H-R-E-A-H. That's right, right? That's, That's correct, right? close right? to fucking right. No, bro, look, it look is. At, I want that, you to look at hold it. Hold on, let me get my readers on. Get man. your old guy glasses. Yeah, that is yeah. not how you spell fucking Yeah, dog. dude, that's spot on, bro. <laughs> that's Hey, listen, you're I'm an author. Retarded. You that's have right. creative yeah. liberty, bro. That's, that's true. I think that's spot on. Plus, if I read <laughs> that, I'd know exactly what you meant, dude. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man, that's a good question. I mean, it, I guess it's have to be overseas somewhere. I'm just trying to remember which diarrhea episode was the worst. Yeah. Probably Afghanistan, I think. It wasn't the first trip because it was in the teams and it was MRE, so I didn't have yeah. – it was tough to even, you know, defecate at all. Uh, it was probably with the agency, I don't know, probably 2010. Because, you know, they have insane chefs in these places, yeah. right? And the food is incredible. But sometimes it's you know a little rich. it's a little rich and or, they or foreign or, or foreign <laughs> and and next thing you know, man, it's just done. And so yeah, it's I think, not an option either. No, yeah. and we'd go in these we'd be in these government facilities and you know the toilets over there are ridiculous. And man, you know for like three days, you know, and and you know when you don't, when you don't have it, you're not doing you're not busy. And then yeah. when you do have it, you're doing runs all the yeah. time. <laughs> And man, I literally like full kit in their one whole bathrooms, trying to squat down. And I was wearing man jams, of course. And so trying to manage the man jams, I'm pooping on the back end of that one. I don't know how they do it. Like they pull over the side of the road, they yeah. jump out of their car, yeah. they lift up, you see it spray out, and then they're they're on and they look relatively decent. But I, they must do like a uh, you know like when chicks back in high school would do like the roll and the and the hair. Tuck. They had a tuck, a roll yeah. hair tuck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, it's they. I didn't know that. Yeah. Right, what I wasn't really proficient in man jams. I was just <laughs> brand new, and so. It got all over my man jams. It got all over my 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 tri shorts. It got, I mean, it literally was just everywhere. And then I had to sit in a hot car for I don't even know how long, and it was just everywhere. Yeah, yeah that was that was horrible. Well, uh, better you than me on that one. <laughs> um, the worst one I've ever seen. You yeah, want to, uh, no, and I gotta yeah, tell this. Got, one yeah, get, get right are, into it. Uh, my AOIC first platoon. We're over. We're training tie seals. You know, obviously, you ingest a little bit too much of the wrong stuff over there. Yeah. And and so he had done that. We'd been on a good stretch. And it hit him. Like, that tie bug hit him. And it, it had put, been putting guys down hard to where the other medic and I, we had concocted this completely illegal mixture of Fennigan and codeine and all this stuff. and all we A just, regular Friday night. Yeah, regular Friday night for a team guy. <laughs> and But this time, someone was like, hey, Rut, you know, go go get... You know, Landry and and 
So I'm like, well, where is he? And they said, someone saw him in the bathroom. So I go in and in the tie, like we were teaching them TCCC. And I go in there and he's got his woodlands around his knees, his, his bait's still on, his, his blouse unbuttoned, no shirt on it because it's so hot. He's in the fetal position and he's curled up and out the back, it's sprayed, Jesus. like sprayed out the front. It's all over the wall because he's like projectile. And he, he looks up at me and goes, Rod, help. <laughs> how, the fuck do you, how the fuck do you help him? <laughs> I got a hose first. I sprayed him down. And then I was like, hey, man, I got to go back to training these guys. Are you guys you good? And we left them there for like six hours. Holy Christ. And finally, like, it, I don't even remember how we plugged them up to get them back to the hotel. And he was down. I mean, he something like. He lost, I don't even know how much. fucking pounds. Yeah, it was crazy in like two days. It was insane. But that was the worst I ever saw. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was epic. I wish I had that on video. Oh, dude, imagine if there were cell phones back then, bro. I'm I'm glad that we grew up when there wasn't, you know, and even early (laughs) on in the teams, like, Jesus Christ, I can't even imagine the incriminating shit that would be on (laughs) GoPros and fucking. I'd be in jail for sure. We. Uh, I, I don't remember where I heard this question, but I thought it was fucking great, and I heard it fairly recently. But would you? It's a would you rather? Okay. Would you rather take an overhand right to the face via Mike Tyson in his prime, or a spread eagle kick to the nuts by Bruce Lee in his prime? Oh wow! I'd go spread eagle kick from Bruce Lee in the hopes that something somewhere in his mind would have show some empathy show some empathy that's what i'm counting on i think bruce lee innately had some empathy in him right yeah. the form of jeet kune do right yeah. flow like water right <laughs> something in there would translate into my positivity like yeah. he'd be like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna come i'm gonna come 43 percent off this kick yeah. and not drive his taint into his <laughs> you know not destroy his descending colon and his duodenum not shatter that you know yeah. try to like maybe put the toe to catch you yeah. know and not really yeah. you know slam my balls up into yeah. my stomach you know i'm hoping for that because mike tyson in his part he was insane yeah like he, it was like getting hit by a fucking sledgehammer you bro know? i i went back when i started working with the ufc fighters I, I wanted to understand the primal drive, and you, you talk about it, I, and I love talking about it with you with the dogs, right? The primal drive that exists, and how do you satiate it? What, what's the relief? How's it come? Well, you know, when you work with fighters, you want to understand that. What's the driver? Why are they getting in that ring for a certain fight for, to, to play with the potential of death, depending upon the size and the spectrum and the quality of the fighter? And I went and started reading as much as I could about the fight world and who was really there. And everything I ever read about the man, he had detached himself fully from any of that core human condition where empathy, compassion, any of that was just gone. And what what he was doing, he was manifesting you know, whatever, how many, what was he, 19, 28, you know, straight years of misery and suffering and pain mm-hmm. and wanted to unleash the totality of that, that experience every punch. Yeah. And that's why it was so devastating. Yeah. So no thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's no shit. And, and I mean, to me, there, there's, there's two, the, the most unique thing about that, I think, is, is it mirrors your, your outlook on life is that the, there, there's one element that exists that why you picked what you did and it's because you have hope 
you know, Thank you. You, you have hope that yeah. he's going to fucking show you some mercy and not kick you as hard in the nuts. Whereas, you know, the other, you know, it's like it, it all boils down. You got a positive attitude. That's it. Well, that's our show. Folks. That's it. And, that's, uh, a, that's all yeah, we got. Yeah. Check out <laughs> Dave Rutt.com and uh, go fuck yourself. Yeah. But in a positive yeah. way, in a, yeah, positively go fuck yourself. Um, no, it's fucking great shit. I, I you know, to me, it's, uh, I've never, I, I would not have thought of it that way. To me, it's just like, fucking flip a coin you know almost i mean there's an element of well there's an element of getting kicked in the like now you know you're going to be miserable like and, mm-hmm. and you're probably not going to be ever to get laid ever again well let not, me ask you this, let me to, ask you this have you ever been truly kicked in the scrotum oh yeah yeah you yeah. know what it feels like oh, right? yeah i mean yeah. it's debilitating and you've been overhand right yeah right good solid yeah. shot but yeah. not as hard as either one of those motherfuckers no but you have a yeah. reference yeah. point for knowing is yeah. what my point is so, right? so i mean I, I guess i would lean towards and here's where my mentality probably differs from you is i, I would lean towards the mike tyson because then I, I would i would be a fucking vegetable you know and, and i wouldn't even know how fucking miserable i am you know so <laughs> may, maybe ignorance is bliss and i'm gonna go with the overhand right to just <laughs> As now I know, it's like just my nuts you're are hard, gone. dude, yeah. and I'm yeah. not hard anymore, man. I, I'm I'm trying to find that yeah. peaceful state yeah. of existence, right? Yeah. The, yeah, the fucking the warrior gardener or whatever the fuck, <laughs> fucking warrior horticulturist. Um, all right, uh, most, I'm no longer the poet or yeah. the warrior poet. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I've switched yeah. it because I, I just I don't want the pain anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm the, the poet I'm the, warrior. I'm the soldier gardener. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't I work make at home, sense. I work at Home Depot now. Uh, <laughs> What's the most humbled you've ever been? Oh, wow. Hmm. Well, I was like, that was a fucking pregnant pause of... Uh, no, that's a, that's, a hu- that's a huge question for me. It's a hard one to answer. Yeah. It's, it's hard to pick, you know, the, the time that's the most humbling for sure. I, I you know, I, I, I would... The initial gut re- response in my head was every time we have a guest on our show... That they tell these incredible stories about they're never you're never quit about being in 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 high school and what you had to go through there. Uh, you know, uh, Charlie Plum, you know, two thousand one hundred and three days in the Hanoi Hilton. Um, you know, I'm always humbled when you hear what what type level of pain and suffering people have gone through to discover something about themselves, which in, inevitably you know, projects them into this, this realm of, of success. Hmm. But for me, man, I would say really, man, it's a couple different things. I mean, getting divorced truly humbled, humbled me. Um, I, I really thought I had a handle on what love was. I thought I had a handle on, on how strong I was, but man, that, that shattered me into a million pieces. Uh, buds walking into buds. Cause I was a division one athlete, you know, athlete top of my game all through high school. And I was nothing on that sand. I was nothing in comparison to, you know, those men that are, were our instructors. So massive, um, meeting, whew, being a father, I think that humbles me the most out of everything because I really understand that I don't know shit (laughs) on a regular day, bro. And you and I have had that conversation over the last couple of years with that and how tough it is, in particular with girls. So it's tough to narrow that humility down. And and also one of the great things I've learned uh, by being friends with 
really amazing human beings, really exceptional human beings out there is, is that a core characteristic of our ability to grow and evolve and become better is, is living in that humility. So that's a great question, dude. I mean, to me, one of the things that, that I, I know for me and, and you know, for you, it's tenfold just in the amount of episodes, you know, and the caliber of folks that you've had on your show is the, the, the ability to, you know, extrapolate perspective, you know, in, in terms of being humbled, but, but, you know, like I feel fucking honored, legitimately honored and, and absolutely blessed to be able to, to bring people such as yourself and, and, and all the other amazing guests I've had on the show to, to get, you know, those, those perspectives that both humble you and, and make you realize like, you know, a, how the world works, B, you know, shit probably isn't that bad if you're having a bad day like you know like you know just like you talk to travis mills brother yeah yeah, i mean dude has no arms and no legs and and still has sunshine billowing out of his asshole out of his asshole like he could be a fucking the beacon of existence for positivity because of what he's gone through. people talk about piss and excellence he actually does it you know so daily yeah daily daily yeah i mean to me it's a it's an amazing it's an amazing opportunity and one that i I don't take for granted i know you don't and and it's it's a really neat position to be in on a lighter note uh favorite vacation spot and why this was a good one i and i like that you asked this one and and i as i was driving here from dallas man i was trying to think of what i would say if i if you did ask me this one and vacation spots are difficult for me because I really don't know what a vacation is. Yeah. I think <laughs> I it depends on why you're on it too, you know? hundred percent. And, and I know you're like me that I don't get to shut my brain off mm-hmm. from work yeah. a lot. So for me, it was always the theoretical idea that if I could somehow find a place where I could turn Do that both. off. Or do both, right? Oh, or do, no, no, little, I mean, because, yeah. I, I mean, every piece of, you know, psychological material I read on, on, on the human mind says you, you got to shut the shit yeah. off, right? Otherwise, you're going to destroy yourself. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't done that legitimately my entire adult existence, right? Yeah. And so this concept that people can go to, you know, Koh Samui in Thailand and turn their shit off for 30 days. Yeah, I don't know how they do it. Yeah. Like, I don't even know. So, I've never had a vacation where I got to experience that level until this past summer where I actually made a concerted effort. I've, I've, I've fallen in love again with this amazing woman. She's got two little girls, so I have four daughters potentially now, hopefully, yeah. if everything goes right, yeah. right? So, and that's 10, that's 7, a lot of fucking estrogen, sorry. 10, 7, 6, and 5, <laughs> Sweet Jesus. Plus, plus my lady. Yeah. Um, well, she's from Maine, and, and her family, up there they call them camps on all the lakes, right? Yeah. You go to the camp, right? And so we all, on our first co-family trip, we went up to this camp on this teeny little lane, uh, um, main lake. And, bro, it's this old beat-up cabin from the 50s, literally. It's like two-bedroom. There were 17 of us. Jesus. All right? 17, man. So we slept in the tent, right? Th- so know? just to be to clarify, this is your favorite vacation spot we're talking about. So right? far, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 17 of them. We slept yeah. in a tent, right? Yeah. 
you know, the girls were in bunk beds. Her brothers were in a camper and two, another in tent, another in the living room. Fucking deliverance. Bro, it was, it was <laughs> literally, it was rough, man. It was not five star by any stretch of the means, you know? Yeah. And, but Mike, for the first time, I, I was able to put my phone down yeah. and focus on my youngest just casting a line, which I had never spent a single moment of, of, at all. I tried one time for one day right when the divorce was beginning to try and be do dad stuff with my girls and try not to be a crazy workaholic. And so I shut the phone down. I had to look at it one afternoon, and the camp next to us had internet, so I could. It was there; it was available, so the, the enticement was there. But I shut it down, and I fished every day with my youngest. I went in. I went swimming with this woman every day, and she's learning the combat side stroke. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, she was the captain of the her field hockey team yeah. in Maine, so she's a badass athlete, actually better than me in most stuff. Uh, so we're swimming every day with her. And you're waterboarding her on the side. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, that's not good enough longer. You can go longer, right? Pushing our two middle in the swing for 20 minutes a day. Uh, spending time with the oldest, uh, doing whatever. Hanging out with her brothers, just drinking beers. Going water skiing and, and cooking with yeah. everybody and meeting her and getting yeah. to know her. And, bro, it was glorious. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting hearing you say the you know trying to focus on being a dad and doing shit with your daughters and not being a workaholic. It's it's in some respects refreshing to hear you say that, and in others, um, you know, highlights I think a problem with guys like you and I is that to me it's very hard. And you know, if there's one thing I could say that I I truly I mean I hate to use the word regret because uh, I don't like to have fucking regrets. Period. But you know, you learn lessons from even things that you wish you had done different. But you know, is exactly that is that it, it for for me and I think for for most guys in our shoes with daughters especially it's it's hard to compartmentalize the difference or distinguish the difference between working hard and being successful to be able to provide for them versus actually Bro. being present and living in the fucking moment. Dude. You know, and, and and to me like that that's a it's a constant inner struggle. I know I have is is that when I'm with them like. I still know there's things that I need to get done. And then if I don't do them, then I'm not maximizing this, you know, but here's the reality is that they have to be that fucking priority for you. Now you, I think you've got to leverage it and that you can't let that, let them turn into entitled assholes that think that, that they get everything every time they want it. Like you've got to still be smart about that, but, but you know, that, that should not uh, trump, you know, your ability to, uh, to spend that quality time, be present and, and make, make that time count. Cause you know, uh, time is more valuable than money and, and, you know, you don't get it back. So ever, uh, but it's, it's like I said, it's uh, I'm glad I'm not the only guy that struggles with that. Cause I know I sure as fuck do, you know, it, it's, it's just like you. It's one of my biggest regrets. It's yeah. one of my biggest issues that I face. I, I don't even know how many, like my, my oldest uh, compete was in her first talent show and she sang tomorrow from annie and she has this beautiful voice miss that yeah. she won an award a couple weeks later uh for this art project she did at school the first she was the first first grader in the history of school to ever be given the award i miss that uh, i don't even know how many first days it was funny i on facebook a, a, a buddy i had gone through boot camp with and and was at buds at the same time with 
his wife posted a picture of the first day of school a couple weeks ago and said this was the first time he, and he's still active, first time he had made their first day of school since 2010. God damn. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I just missed uh, mine's first day of school because I was, you know, on the East Coast fucking working, you know. I mean, now, granted, I, I think that may have been the first first day I've missed, you know, but yeah. I, I hear you. I mean, like, there's there's things that you just, you're not going to get them back, you know, and, and it sucks. But again, I you know, for me, you know, for any any wives or, or women out there, period, that, you know, that are listening, or even guys for that matter, I think, you know, I, I hope that, that people hearing that understand i know for me like it, it's it's hard to to not you know it's it's not that i think any of us have a preference for work you know or, or that we would rather do that it, it's not being able to to again kind of compartmentalize the fact that it's, it's it's wanting to be that biologically appropriate provider for our families yep you know and 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 you know to to slack on that like there's there's a almost an uncomfortability that 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 is associated with it and thinking like I'm not holding up my end of the bargain as the provider if I'm not maximizing my ability you know to, to try to grow what I'm what I'm doing especially as an entrepreneur I think to work a nine dude you are job, not a nine to five mug well I mean neither of us are yeah you know? and I, mean, I can never I've tried it yeah I've, I've, I've worked for a mortgage marketing company I was uh, tried to do I had a, a, a work for a domestic security company yeah. I, I you know I've, I've Walmart won. greeter yeah you uh, name it man yeah. I've done it man I thought that was my true calling yeah, by the Walmart the greeter yeah I yeah. thought I was gonna crush that I was gonna be the first six-figure Walmart yeah. greeter ever turns out HR had other plans after they did i agreed. not like it the first time i said hey asshole i just said hi to you right we're not that guy yeah and it is hey where you know how much before we get the wake-up call yeah. and yeah. that we missed of, of I, 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 yeah I, th I think sometimes it, it takes a real slap in the face or kicking the fucking balls to to make you realize hey you know this this is the priority and and you know what you you know i don't care how much you provide if there if if the relationship with what you're providing for fails because of it then what what's the fucking point what's the point you know so but um, remember just and and again i go back to those drivers that you that you yeah you they're primal you, you knew more than anybody any dude i've ever met in terms of you know the, your ability to transfer you know, the psychology of we're all like, I love when you say we're all animals. Right. Yeah. And to transfer that psychology, right. I, I, we have that drive in us, right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to succeed. And what is my estimation of success first, Bob, who sells insurance down the road and no, no knock on selling insurance. It lets them be home every day at five 30 or five. They can be coaches for their kids. They can do that. But man, I'm I'm giving 80 speeches a year, yeah. right? I, I'm working with pro sports teams. I'm do I'm in Texas recording our podcast eight times a year for ten days at a time, mm -hmm. right? Knocking out nine shows. Yeah. So I'm not normal, Bob. Yeah. So I either have to live with that or set some, you know, drop dead boundary boundary in the yeah. future that I'm hoping that I it's a gamble that. I didn't miss too much shit. My girls aren't going to hate me for it. Yeah, and and it's particular going through the divorce. Yeah, man, that, that you know you're yeah, always you're you're more con I'm much more conscientious of it now than I yeah. was prior to that. Yeah. Yep. Amen. Amen. Um, next, uh, and this is one of the more serious questions. What vegetable do you hate most? 
Oh man, that's tough. So I I just started the keto diet two weeks ago, and I swear to God, I'm quitting Monday because <laughs> to hell with that you shit. You got to balance it. No, I can't stand it. Uh, um, and I haven't lost a single fucking pound either, by the way. And I think I've gained weight. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, like, but sick. I'm fucking starving, <laughs> and it's miserable. And I'm miserable, right? So I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I hate eggplant. Yeah. Especially, you know, when it gets all soggy and nasty, and like yeah. people are like, "Oh, I love eggplant." This, and I'm like, yeah. "That sucks." I don't yeah. know how you eat that. I, I mean, it's tough, man. I'm. It just. I'm a mood orientation guy, like depending yeah. upon my mood, I'm happy to shift my hatred towards other vegetables at yeah. a, at a, <laughs> at a, a drop of a hat, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm not a, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a, a sole vegetable hater. I'll yeah. hate everything I'm a little right. bit. Fair enough. Yeah. Should I move on to the next question? Or sure. do, you, do you not give a fuck what vegetable I hate? Is that what's going on? No, I'm interested to know, like for sure what lima, it is. Lima beans. Why? Fucking lima. They're, I mean, they're like, it's like earwax. True. Uh, I'll give you that. It's like bitter fucking earwax. Okay. I mean, I, mean, I don't know why. Like, wh- I don't know. Have you ever dug your finger into your yeah. ear and licked that? Most wax? times. Yeah. M- most times. All right. All right. It's fucking horrible. Lima beans. All right. I did have a government question. I'm going to skip it, though. Um, okay. This is, this is the one question I ask absolutely everybody. You've already alluded a little bit to, to starting a keto program, which I'm happy to talk about. What is your morning routine? Now, I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I want to build a little context is that there's been a number of guests, you know, I can't even remember which fucking ones, but I asked their morning routine and they told me about their whole fucking day. Just your morning routine. We'll say the first two hours that you're awake. What does that look like on a, on a normal day where you're home and not, not traveling? Normal day home, yeah. not traveling. I, well, because of the amount of travel you do, let's, <laughs> let's do one of each. Okay. All right. All right. Normal day home. With kids, without kids. I mean, smoke. With, what, what do you spend? You spend more time without, probably. Probably. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. for the for the sake of, like, what do you do yeah. for you? Okay. I'd say without. All right, let's do without. All right. I love to sleep in. God bless. Yeah, yeah, give brother. Me some on that. One. Yeah, no, I'm I'm I am never been a morning guy. I hate the morning. I can't. I, I mean, I'll wake up if some dude's like, "Hey, dude, I got. Let's go." The house is on fire. Yeah, let me hit snooze once. Fuck off. No, up. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a snooze tapping son of a bitch. Dave, and, you are my spirit animal. Yeah, brother. Yes, brother. <laughs> I cannot stand, and I like to sleep like yeah. as much as I can yeah. now. Fucking hibernate. Yeah, bro. I'm nine hours, and I'm yeah. a happy camper, yeah. right? Um, Fuck, love it. So maybe around eight thirty nine, somewhere around that, because I'm in bed. Probably around eleven thirty midnight, right around there. Get up. First thing I do is I pray. Uh, I've got a prayer that I I, re- I recite. Most of it has a is a component of just gratitude. I'm just stoked that I'm up and I'm alive and I have what I have. So I pray. Get out. I go in the bathroom. I drink whatever amount of water, eight to twelve ounces, whatever they say it is. <laughs> Whatever the yeah, fuck. Whatever the fuck they eight, say. Eight, twelve, yeah, forty, I, fucking whatever. I don't know. It says to drink some water, <laughs> so I try and drink some water, right? I get in the shower just to loosen up. Otherwise my neck is trashed, my lower back is a mess. Uh usually five minutes in there. Um God get, bless being over forty, huh? Dude, brother. <laughs> you tell me about it. Um uh, you know, I'm not as crazy as Aubrey Marcus yet for who, who has, you know, goes and does the ice bath, gets out, puts sun on his face, takes his supplements. Uh, I just don't have that 
patience or discipline, I really like if if Jacko would hate me. Yeah. I'm the most non-disciplined guy <laughs> on the fucking planet, right? And so I do that. I'll put on my my uniform, right? My uh, <laughs> my combat flip flops. Uh, I put on my tiger stripe cargo shorts. <laughs> I put on my team never quit frog logic. Now my new Trikos t-shirt. One of somebody I love and support. Put on same thing with the hat, right? I go out. I, I usually I try and eat two eggs or medium bacon, sliced avocado, uh, latte, almond milk. Uh, eat that. Sit down, and I do my daily dose of Frog Logic. Um, the daily dose can take me. Fuck, if I'm on point and my brain is functioning, I can knock it out in 25, 30 minutes. If I'm brain dead from travel or kids or whatever, it usually takes me about an hour. What right? can you can you give uh, the listener and myself a kind of a reader's digest synopsis of what that is? So the daily dose of Frog Logic really I started probably four or five years ago when social media was really starting to go and and you looked at what other motivational guys because that's how I benchmark my my business. You know, what's Tony Robbins doing? Well dick measuring. <laughs> that's what we do we gauge that shit right i gotta know and what works and what doesn't work although i'm definitely not like the guy that's gonna be like hey mike bud yeah. come on over here let me sell you six minute abs bro or hey man i got the perfect way you can make 30, five minutes you know abs. yeah five, you can make a million dollars in 30 days that ain't me yeah. i'm the guy that's gonna sell you how to get kicked in the fucking teeth yeah. and how to get up for five minutes yeah. right at yeah. most right yeah. Yeah. maybe every day you know maybe only on thursdays <laughs> Because that's only as good as I'm I am. I'm a part-time guy. Yeah, part-time, <laughs> part-time motivator. And I started to see these, everybody had these daily snippets they got out. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And I'll bring my infinite, amazing wisdom to people. And yeah. man, at first they sucked, right? It was the typical canned bullshit of... You know, pulling some quote from Winston Churchill and then add my little dumbass two cents to it. I, you know, I had a graphic art guy working for me. I tried to do some cool visual with it. And, man, it was garbage, dude. Garbage, man. It sucked. Do you still have some? Are they still posted? The old ones? Yeah, they're, everything's still there. Dig it up, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Yeah, you know, it's, everything's still there. And you'll see it. And then when... I think when a buddy of mine, Andrew Kako, died of cancer, it st I started to realize. And then I also had a stark thing because I was, I, I'm, I'm always trying to reassess myself against, you know, what is out there and what I'm doing and how am I just conforming to the group, right? Group thinks a vicious, vicious thing, especially in social media world, right? And we can talk about that later if you want, but... And so I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I not being genuine to who I am? So my buddy Andrew died of cancer, and it was a two-year battle that we, we fought together, and I tried to help him stay positive and all that, and he succumbed to that. And then uh, right after that, in May, that was, that was November 14, and then May, no, that was November 15, then May 16, Bruce Cunningham died from alcoholism. Yeah. That was a four-year battle. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and that was devastating to me because that was, you know, Bruce was the guy that yeah. had the yeah. most profound impact on me in, in the teams and really taught me 
just the power of of educating yeah. and what it meant and what you could do with it and it made me believe in myself was which was unique because a lot of team guys they challenge you but they don't make you believe in yourself necessarily yeah. it's kind of contra yeah. contraindicated and he helped me do that with the guys that went through sqt with me and i really want to do it um and so i stopped i stopped writing the things that i thought people wanted to hear and i wrote the things that i wanted to say yeah really from my heart and what's crazy is that although you look at me now you would say yeah that makes sense but i you know i was a i was an art major in a <laughs> with a minor in poetry in college <laughs> no. right holy fuck yeah God. i was a hippie dude yeah. i was Viol- the violent hippie That's, uh, i was a violent yeah. hippie yeah uh, mitch uh, aguiar's got violent <laughs> dude fucking great. i love mitch yeah. man he's yeah. one of my favorite yeah. human beings yeah. on a planet fucking great right? shit. That's such a fucking brilliant shirt it's by far yeah. the, the greatest thing ever yeah. and that was kind of me you know although my my big influences were, you know, Charles Bukowski, who was this derelict who lived on Skid Row forever. I loved Hunter Thompson, obviously. I loved, I loved all the manic, crazy, insane poets, right? Yeah. And so I started saying, you know what? I, I, I'm tired. The warrior thing, I can't, I don't want to bear the burden anymore of it. I don't, I don't want to be the guy, oh, get your shield up, yeah. get in your phalanx. Yeah. Take the battle of life head on every day. Now, every now and then I'll put some of that shit in there. But I was like, man, let's let's dig into the core essence of what we're all really struggling with. And that's our weaknesses. And because that's what unites us. Right. It's our 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 successes and our our plaques on a wall that separates us. You know, we were talking a little bit about, you know, in, in when we we're before we got on. But what unites us is our pain, man. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm going to dig into this pain. And then, no shit, a few months later, my wife and I split. And that hit, that, like I said, it shattered me. And then I really changed. Yeah. And so what I try and do, and everybody's like, man, where do you steal those from? What are you doing? And, and, and really what I try and do is I take an experience that I've had recently, I try and process it in a way that I can pull something useful or benchmark something to what I believe is already true to show the baseline of consistency within the human condition. And then I'll, in some type of poetic format, disseminate that so it lifts people up every day. To me, I I mean, maybe I'm a a fucking idiot here, but... uh, Not maybe. Let's be honest. Um, Come on, bro. We're just knuckle draggers. Well, to me, the there, there's a brilliance in that, and I don't know if you've thought of it this way. Um, may, maybe it's intentional, but to me, th- that's a, essentially a microcosm of of actually what you're doing, what you're what you're advertising. You know, is that you're you're taking an experience and you're and you're finding something you know to to either learn from, to stay positive about, and to me, like that is. That's the the secret to not life, but surviving life. Amen. You know, I mean, it, it really is because the, you know, you can all, we can all, you know, talk about purpose and, and why we're here and what drives us and whatever. But the reality of it is, is that's the idealist's viewpoint or perspective on it. You know, the, the realist is the one getting kicked in the fucking balls and trying to figure out 
do I sit here and, and whine about it and, and play the victim and feel sorry for myself or, okay, that fucking sucked. I don't want it to happen again. I don't want that to you know, happen how, again. How can I at least learn how to, A, keep that from happening again, <laughs> and, and B, you know, what, what can I take from that you know, and extrapolate a, a, you know, something positive? Because, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I will say, like, I'm not a particularly religious guy. I'm not an everything happens for a reason uh, believer per se. Um, but I would also say is that, you know, you, you really fall on one side of the fence or, other, or the other when shitty things happen. It's either you sit there and fucking dwell on it and point the finger and, and try to blame somebody and be an asshole about it. Or you say, you know what, fucking shit happens. Life sucks for everybody sometimes and, and figure out a way to use that, you know, to your advantage and, and where some doors that you don't want to fucking shut and you and you stick your foot in it and and jam rocks in the motherfucker trying to keep it open and and whether it's god or the universe or shitty luck whatever you want to pin it on whatever you're into for whatever reason that fucking thing is getting closed and uh and you know but that being closed gives the opportunity for other doors to to open which you know a lot of times are are better i mean i i know i'm a walking example of a number number of examples in my life just since i've been out of the military where something happened that was really fucking shitty but something amazing came out of it you know so um is that something that that you that's kind of part of the the deal or absolutely you know frog logic was born out of this experience in my second trip to afghanistan when i was working for blackwater and i was training the counter drug guys and then going on mentor ops with them whatever that meant but and we had we had hit this compound up in mazar Sharif, and nothing happened nothing was going on it was a false intel shit that they used to do to each other and and but I'm sitting there, and obviously I get I'm looking around. I see these kids in those compounds, and you know the, the year a couple of years before with Team One, I hated those kids. I was ready to shoot them, you know, because they'd throw rocks at us, or they would, you know, in some cases, like they, an ODA team. One of the kids they were they were in a village, dropped a grenade in the front passenger seat. A lead vehicle blew this guy up. So you know I had this hatred, but this time I don't know why I call one of my God touches in my life. God picked my head up and said, look at how destitute these children are. And they didn't choose it, right? Kids don't choose any of this shit. And, you know, a 13-year-old girl in Afghanistan, what is she? She's a receptacle for procreation. She's a receptacle for work. I mean, you know, she's beaten, she's covered, she's, you know, diminished and... Enslaved. Enslaved. It's slavery, right? It's, yeah. Uh, even little boys, I mean, mm-hmm. little boys are sex toys. They're no, I beaten. There's, I mean, it's horrific, man. So I'm going, wow. What enables a kid in that position to smile? Mm-hmm. What what tools do they need to smile when it's horrific? You know, to 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 take to crawl one extra step in the hopes that maybe something might change tomorrow and tomorrow that you know. All right, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. There's potential and in, in, in opportunity there. I just don't know how to achieve it. And that's what made me start Frog Logic with a kid's book yeah. that I wrote. And, you know, and I, I'd imagine I'd go work with Doctors Without Borders and all that stuff. And, man, nonprofit, soft mindset, oh, clash. It just didn't work, <laughs> right? Yeah. Horrible. And when I came back home off that deployment, it was like, all right, my research started identifying all kinds of issues here in America. So I was like, wow, I just help kids in America and had no idea how difficult that would be. Mm-hmm. And it was my first real exposure to 
what was going on, and we talk a lot about this, the kind of the, the pendulum swinging away from, you know, uh, the, the harsh reality of life and our ability to express ourselves honestly and communicate effectively through mutual respect to find common ground and solutions. That, that was disintegrating mostly, mm-hmm. and you and I both agreed through the, the connectivity or the, the uh, systemic problem of, of, of the Internet, of social media, and all these things. So I'm like, man, this is suck. So fast forward, what Frog Logic has ultimately become is to this motivational training and coaching and content development company to, to really say, hey, there are some core, I believe, some core fundamental things within the human condition that uh, crosses the planes of culture. Right, crosses the planes of our past, crosses the planes of all these things. And if you can somehow focus on you know, developing a, a, a good foundation within these things, man, you can take a beating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I found that I'm, I wasn't really good at delivering beatings. I'm just not that kind of guy. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of dudes that we know that deliver phenomenal beatings, I'm not that guy. I don't have it in me. I don't have that, you know, you know, not to say that I haven't spent my fair share of whatever, you know, we get into as young, dumb frogmen, but I, I, that's not my, that doesn't drive me. What drives me is, is to help people take the beating and get back in the fight yeah. and take the beating and get back in the fight. And that's really what the, that daily dose is, yeah. is supposed to do is that at, at the bare minimum, someone can wake up, go to my Instagram page, read a dose, somehow connect it to something in their life and just get a, a, a little, a little spark to light that fire in their gut. Yeah. So two things is uh, number one, I guess a, a follow on question is once that's completed, then is it, it just depends on the day and you kind of go about your day. Is that the, the kind of the last step of the morning routine? Yeah, it is. I, obviously, you know, we have to sift through the direct messages, the emails and all that. So I try and keep my digital aspect of, you know, pretty short within a two hour spectrum. Then PT, you know, I try and go because if I, I I'm. I used to be an afternoon guy, but now with kids, and once that happens, I'm not getting the PT in. Although now much better with my girlfriend because she is a PT machine, right? Yeah. So she will say, "Nope, we're going to PT right yeah. now," right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll, and I most of my stuff is at the beach because I live two miles from the beach in South Florida, and man, it's either a swim, it's you know sprints, it's uh, paddleboarding, it's it's a kettlebell on the beach, whatever it might be, even if it's just, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, you know, air squats, and then, I don't know, even if it's just basically frolicking in the surf and yeah. body surfing, that's my space, yeah. and, and that, that keeps me, yeah. you know, kind of sane. So you just put in the schedule, like, frolic? Frolic. I, I love the word frolic. <laughs> I wish it was used more, you know, but people are just not on yeah. board with it, man. So, I mean, that, that makes me wonder if I need to start asking the, uh, the morning routine question like at the end because it's like a 20-minute 20, 20 answer to what the fucking morning routine is. But like that happens with everybody. It's fascinating to me, though, because, I, mean, yeah, I mean, to me, you, you learn an awful lot about somebody by saying, how, you know, what's the first two, three hours of your day every, every fucking day look like, you know? And, uh, you know, it's, 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 neat, it's neat to hear everybody's uh, different, 
different perspectives. It really is and, phenomenal and, insight into yeah. who they are and yeah. what's important and how they categorize yeah. that importance in their life. Yeah. You know, with kids, no, I'm not important, right? It's getting up at six, getting them up, starting their breakfast, getting them up by 6.15, you know, so they can slowly wake, you know, teeth brush out, you know, uh, reevaluate anything in the school day, talk to them, eat, get them in the car, 20 minutes to school, boom, and then maybe start my my day at that yeah. point. Um, on the road, it's crazy. Usually I'm finishing, I'm talking for eight to 10 hours in a day. Uh, like yesterday, you know, woke up at seven, got up. Uh, I had flown in from Texas the night before, uh, got up, uh, had breakfast, met with the guy at UPenn football team, walked over the thing, started talking at 10 with the team, didn't stop till two, right? Then went in coach's office, chatted with him for a while about the program, about the year, then met an old buddy who lived in the Philly area. We went, had a drink, you know, had a- Turned into me, nine. Me, yeah. <laughs> now I went to the airport. I got on a flight. I flew here. I got landed, you know, in Dallas at whatever. Yeah. Went to bed, talked to my lady till one in the morning. Woke up this morning. I got in a car. I'm here. Yeah. So when I'm traveling, it's just get up to move to the next space. Get up to the move. So there is no routine. There is, other than my prayer, other than anything, that there is no routine. And it's yeah. what- it really, I, I suck on the road. Yeah. I really am not good. I mean, so, so for me, I would say, um, to me, it, it depends on how long I'm on the road for. Like if it's for a couple of days, I may not fucking sweat, you know, doing some of the things I normally do. But even then I, I, I would say most of the time, uh, I do. I mean, to me, like, that's the one thing I will say that from a discipline standpoint, like I've, I, like it, it just I have to do it like or I, I won't fucking sleep right I won't th- like I've got to incorporate some sort of physical activity most days I've got to make sure that I'm you know taking collagen and fucking CBD oil and, and MCT oil and the shit that I know keeps my body able to move mm-hmm. when I need to move it and and because if I don't especially if I'm gone for you know four or five six days two weeks whatever like by the end of that I'll look 15 fucking years older which let's be honest i, I can't you don't have that. that i don't have you don't have that bro don't have that you need to stay disciplined bro and uh <laughs> you know but I, I feel like shit you know my body seizes up my back hurts i fucking get headaches you know i i, I lose weight I, i'm not hungry like i just my my mind doesn't work the fucking same way you know so for me like i even on the road i, I mean i take shit with me kettlebells if i'm driving you know fucking i'll do you know body weight pts in the, in the hotel room or, or whatever when I can fit them in, I'm not a, Hey, I got to get up and, and I don't work out first thing in the morning. I, I fucking hate it. You know, I, I mean, I will squeeze it in after taking a shit in, in the afternoon if need be. Like I just, yeah, I fucking, I hate working out first thing in the yeah. morning. And, and for me, like it, it doesn't make my day better. It fucking ruins it, you know, cause mm-hmm. I, I just feel like shit the rest of the day. I don't know what it is, but, um, the, the, the funny thing is, is that every time that I'll, I'll get a little hair up my ass and I'll, I'll implement those things and I'll get, you know, take all my supplements and all that stuff and I'll do all, and I'll stretch in the morning for me. That's a big one on the road to put that towel down in the, you know, if I do that, man, I feel a lot of times better, but man, it's just, it's the scheduling thing and stuff. Oh, it's crazy. Cause a lot of times I'll, I'll want to be on a, on a flight by seven in the morning. So that means I'm up, I'm finishing the night before by 10 in bed by midnight i'm up at five i'm to the airport i'm on a flight yeah. and so i can yeah and, and and 
I generally don't fly early because of that because I fucking hate it. <laughs> you know, but that's no bullshit. Um, all right, so the workouts seem pretty straightforward. The uh, one one question that I wanted to make sure you talked about the keto, just brush over a little bit of the. Uh, are you kind of a just eat whatever most of the time, or you try to keep I, it fairly clean? No, I, I'm I'm okay. I, I I got a back injury last <laughs> spring break. I was with the girls down in the Keys. And my buddy brought his boat, and he had <laughs> girls. Yeah, girls had never done, you know, the the tubing. And then there, I saw, oh, he's got this little knee board, right? And I had a knee board in fifteen years, right? Yeah. So I'm going, oh, I'm gonna show the girls how cool I am, right? Doing it, and then I'm like, oh, I'm gonna show the girls I can jump, right? And and instead of sitting back on it, landing like that, what do I do? I dig nose in, and I don't let go. Re-injure an injury that I first got '99, advanced battlefield trauma, doing yeah. man carries for 14 straight days. And that set me on this cycle of pain that I just couldn't get rid of. And I'm, I tried not, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm petrified of opiates and pain pills because I just, how many friends do we have that are dead now because of it? So it lingered. And then I didn't, you know, and then I'm traveling and I'm not doing anything to help it. And that really just got my, my workout just way off. And, and so finally, I, I've been working with this healer lady who's really amazing person. Her name's Maggie, and for years and years, over a decade, and and I she, I wasn't able to see her. She was had some other shit, stuff going on, and and so she came back, put hands on. I did like three and a half hours on a table with her. She got it out, unlocked it, and so I started again. And I'm slowly coming back to where I'm. My workouts are much more sophisticated and better, and. But and so, but I put on. I got up over like two hundred five, and I want my perfect happy life is one eighty five. That's where I'm in. I can run ten mile runs and feel great and do all this stuff. Uh, but I got up to two hundred five and I'm miserable at two hundred five. And so my new girlfriend it was like, "Let's do the keto diet." Well, actually, it was who was it? I had listened to the Joe Rogan. Uh, Jordan Peterson podcast and his daughter, Jordan Peterson's daughter had yeah. all those problems goes keto and solves them on. So yeah. I'm like, well, oh, she can solve all that. I can sure take care of my <laughs> shit. Let's do keto overnight. Right. And it was crazy. Just like that fast, no prep, no yeah. nothing. Fucking and my girl, you know, my girlfriend's like, yeah, let's go. Cause she's yeah. bad to the bone. So like three days later, I'm miserable. I'm with the Red Sox. We're in Philly. I, I'm hanging out with Mitch Moreland and Mitch is like, yeah, dude, I did it between the 14-15 season. I dropped 22 pounds. I was shredded. It's awesome. Stick with it. And meanwhile, I'm going, I hate you. I don't want to do this. I, so do I believe in it, man? No. Uh, yeah, it works. Hands down. I know it works. I've seen it work. And do I have the commitment level right now to do it or the time and to invest and to eat? Normally, I think I eat pretty good. When I PT regularly, I'm yeah. good. When I don't, I'm a just I'm, I'm, I'm a train wreck yeah. dude I, you know I, I think that's uh, a common element for most people you know is that it's a fucking roller coaster just like with a lot of things in life but uh, life you know, itself yeah I mean to me for for me at least I know that you know by having a structured and, and as regimented as I can fucking stand morning routine is that that lays the foundation for everything else diet everything 
Diet is everything. Well, I mean, I mean, by by doing the same thing and being regimented and disciplined in how I start my day, including with the diet. Yeah, that helps me stay in that lane. Absolutely. You know, consistency. Yeah. If I get up and I'm like, ah, fuck it, I'll have a piece of cold fucking pizza. (laughs) Like game over. Like the rest of the day, I'm like, what? Shot. Yeah. I mean, like I already fucked it up. You know, like I can't (laughs) salvage it. Yeah. It's like let's break out the nickel. Yeah. Like I might as well go back to bed and wake up fucking donuts and. Yeah, like I just, you know, and, and I, well, fuck it. I'm, there's no reason to work out, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, I might as well take the day off too while we're like, it's a shit day. Like, it's fucked anyway. I might as well just continue the fuckery, you know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, I love the fact, I mean, nobody knows consistency more than you do, right? And, and because of the dogs. And, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. no, like we were talking about earlier, like Christmas, Easter, Fourth of July, your fucking birthday, you got the flu. They don't give a fuck. No. You know, like they're not going <laughs> to not My favorite shit. line ever is they don't, dogs don't care about Jesus's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, they don't. They don't give a flying fuck that, that it's Jesus's birthday. Yeah. You know, they're, they're still going to shit and smear it all over the place <laughs> if you don't get rid of it quick, you know? So, uh, you know, and, and for the first, you know, several years of, of me doing this for a living, it was just me. Like yeah. I, I had no kennel staff. I had, it was just hundred hour work weeks. Oh, man. it was fucking, I mean, brutal, yeah, but there was no, there's no option. There's no other option like i couldn't afford to to hire anybody even part-time for for several years you know and uh i mean it gives you a, a healthy respect for a what they're what they're dealing with uh but b you know it 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 makes you realize like there's a component of that structure and that discipline and that that commitment to to doing certain things a certain way for them every single morning that that set, sets them up for success you know and so yeah that that structured routine it makes a big fucking difference with dogs, you know. The biggest place I'm affected is my creativity, right? Because that's yeah. what I do. I yeah. I write books. I create contact. I, you know, that's what my job is, right? To continue this stream of 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 bullshit, bullshit, complete and utter <laughs> altruistic bullshit that's not relevant at all in the real world. And so that's my job to do that, man. But when I don't have that consistency, I'm yeah. I'm not sleeping on the road. Uh, I'm eating like shit. I'm yeah. I'm, oh, I'm going you. out to steakhouses and drinking with clients, telling stories till midnight. Man, I'm a mess, yeah. and and it doesn't work. And so when I come home, especially now with her, you know, we eat. She is amazing. She's got a you know degree in nutrition. She's uh, you know she's a badass yoga i mean she's in sick shape and she cares deeply about what's going on and and so i'm more conscientious and it changes everything i'm a better dad i'm a better person i'm about everything so kisser yeah i'm always pretty good at that (laughs) (laughs) it sucks except for this this small beaver Uh, i have except except for the dick broom you have on your upper lip <laughs> yeah, hey, we're, I'm right there with you. Oh, dude, I know, I know. Um, yeah. I, I, I would love it. Unfortunately, it goes back to that concept of sacrifice, right? We talked about it with parenting. Yeah, we talked about entrepreneurialism. You, 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 you got to give stuff up. I'm, I don't have the propensity and the 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 innate rigidity within my 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 consciousness to not be weak man mm-hmm. in in certain cases so am i you know playing catch up is is kind of the thing you do before sarah discovered chumbacasino.com she enjoyed chamomile tea come on big jackpot and being in pj's by six let's go the new fun sarah Woo-hoo! often thinks about the old boring 
young Sarah yes. and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino-style games, so join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Ven a JCPenney y descubre nuestra nueva e increíble selección de jeans para el otoño. Con opciones versátiles para usar y combinar a tu manera. Encuentra cientos de colores y estilos para todos los gustos. Además aprovecha grandes ahorros en las marcas más populares. Como Levi's, A&A, Wrangler, Arizona Jean Company, Lee y más. No te pierdas las increíbles ofertas en jeans todas las semanas. JCPenney, vale la pena. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, I think that's why I'm, you know, I, you know, unlike a lot of other people who, you know, I, I, I just, I really want the people that I'm working with to realize, hey, it, it's okay to be a schlep. It's okay. Once in a while. Once in a while, man. No one's perfect. You yeah. take, because if you're not, and you and I know them, and I was like this in the teams where there was no leeway. Yeah. And I, now obviously the, the the explicit nature of our of yeah. our job, yeah. you know, you can't, right? Yeah. Cuz people will die. Yeah. And so but you know, we're, there's no we're not going into combat every day here. We're 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 living our life. And so learning how to allow myself that grace um, has been profound for me. And mm -hmm. so what I try and do is say, "Hey, don't 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 destroy yourself to where Now, psychologically, that's fucking with you nonstop, right? Because if, if, if you don't give yourself uh, the truth, which is willpower ends and we all crash. We all come up, we crash. We come up, we crash. We all, oh, and depending upon your, your ability within that, your refractory period, how long those crashes last and yeah. how much you can get back in the fight has really become, I think, the determinant factor of your potentiality for success. You know, you people are, you can't exist in that space. Yeah. It's it's a, But, fa fa it's a fabrication. Yeah, I mean, to me, I, I think a good analogy would be you know, hearing you describe it, it makes me think of the stock market. <laughs> you know, like Great. like from from thirty to now, like yeah, it's it's gone up significantly. But w when you zoom in on on those patterns, like it's a rocky motherfucker. And there's been you know, just like with people, there's some rough days, there's some rough weeks, there's some rough fucking years. You know, uh, there's some great ones to, to offset it. And, and, you know, the goal should be ultimately is that you're you're still, you know, it, it's scaled a little bit, but you're you're gradually, you know, just continuing to climb and get better and better and better. But but being realistic about, you know, the fuck, you, you can't maintain that level for for, you know, all day, every fucking day without losing your fucking shit, because I think that there's an element of almost you know from a maniacal standpoint like an ocd you know standpoint where where you you're bordering on fucking crazy like obsessively compulsive like in in its truest form you know when you take it to that level to where you're a miserable fuck to be around like it's like no i got to do this like well fucking why don't you calm down we're on vacation you know or you got your kids with your, your whatever you know and so 
you know, I think there's, I think that's a powerful message that, uh, you know, that, that's more realistic for most people, you know, but bro, we, we live in a spectrum of, 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 <laughs> That's so unrealistic. It's not even funny. Yeah, social media to, to to thank for that. Well, I, 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 I pass a greater blame on the program than than anything. I mean, what what they convince us is. I that, mean, society. You know. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm trying to. I mean, the people that are paying attention to you and me, right? Society in general. That, all that, twelve of them. Yeah. All, well, I mean, your audience is much bigger than mine because you're better at what you do than I am. But I, I think I'm at like four now. Um, <laughs> so the you know, coming out of buds in the immersion nature of that program and the beautiful, beautiful operant conditioning that happens in that yeah. space, man. God, mm-hmm. they create these beautiful robots yeah. that are perfect for the that niche, niche that sliver of existence that yeah. is profound and what it's what it's what and it's need in this world in this yeah. life to combat evil head on yeah but man did that screw me up in every other aspect of my life yeah and that's what I tell kids. I mean, yeah. you, I know just like you. But it gives you unrealistic expectations completely. with every motherfucker you deal with. You completely. Know? And, and which, you know, the, the, the reality is that now you're just an asshole. Uh, you know, I mean. When I, the first kids I started working with, yeah. like my first two <laughs> years like, out. Hey, fuck face. Oh, dude, I was horrible. <laughs> I, I mean, I remember. They're fucking I remember one of my first. Oh, bro, one yeah. of my first yeah. t- group. I had I had six kids at a foster care program, all minorities, all from insanely horrific, you know, beginnings. And I was going to put them through a f- one month program, four hours every Thursday, getting them dialed in and you know treating them like they needed to be treated and yeah. like fucking white shirt. Bro, like white shirt bud students, and that was horrible. They responded in certain capacities, but I checked in a month after. All of them had this great high, and then they crashed below where where the baseline was, and many of them took a year to recover from that, right? Because Thanks, Dave. (laughs) Totally. No, I I destroyed some of these kids, and I take full responsibility for it, and you know, over the course of those two years, man, I was in, I was incredibly lucky. I probably we worked with about you know maybe four or five thousand kids in North America, a lot of schools all over. And man, I quickly realized this: I cannot translate that shit into any other capacity. Yeah. Then I started working with some corporations. I you know one or two they saw a video or heard about me, and they were dumb enough to let me come in and <laughs> man, I was doing the same thing. Yeah. Fast forward. I, 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 one of my favorite stories with how much of an idiot I was and how long it took me to adapt because of my hard headedness, my first job, uh, training case officers, right? I show up first couple of days was in doc, but we're on the range immediately pistol, right? Stuff. And there's a case officer that had been, she'd been there, 15 years 16 years brilliant woman four different doctorates i mean off the charts she had served all over the world i mean brilliant but at five meters she could not hit anything it couldn't hit the paper man (laughs) these are glock 17s too she couldn't hit it so I'm in her face going, what the hell are you doing? Are you kidding me? You brought you, out the knife Jason hand? Bo- oh, bro, I knife hand the <laughs> shit at him, right? Gee, what are you, Jason Bourne bullshit? You know, and I'm screaming at her. 
And the, the head dude was like, hey, Rod, man, what's, hey, man, we need some ammo, right? And I'm like, check Roger. I go, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. And meanwhile, she's crying. She yeah. started crying. Yeah. And I'm like, there's no crying on the range. There's no crying in combat, you know? And I, and on the way out, fucking Tonto, Chris Pronto is on the range with me. He goes, hey, man, come on over here, dude. I was like, what's up, bro? And he's like, man, Navy SEAL, huh? And I was like, yeah, bro. He's like, you probably instructor too. Yeah, hell yeah, man. And he's like, man, that's awesome shit, dude. You made that chick cry, dude. I'm like, what the fuck, man? They're going down range, you know? And he's like, here, bro, let me, let me help you out, dude. If you don't want to be on the first thing smoking this afternoon, because you do that again, they're going to ask you window or aisle, dude. Which one do you want, right? You know, what do you want? He goes, let me, let me tell you. They're not doing what you did. Yeah. They're not doing anything near it. They don't train anywhere like you did. He said, man, you got to expand your horizons as what the reality of what the person you're trying to influence is actually required. Yeah. Receiving. Our, our jobs is to help these people gain a modicum of behavioral understanding on how they can greater integrate with JSOC units or soft units downrange so they don't kill each other, they don't fight each other, and God forbid they have to go out on a mission with one of our brothers, they don't get them killed. That's mm. your job. Yeah. So you need to learn how they think, dude, mm -hmm. and, and adjust according to them. And it was the greatest advice I had ever gotten because I took a stick back and I go, wow, I'm really bad at what I do. And then I was able to, you know, I dug back into the, psychology books and really started asking more questions of them than they were asking of me. And I, I, I changed, I, I shifted to the realization that, man, we all struggle. Mm -hmm. We all have a different capacity to allow pertinent information to pass through, yeah. you know, these, think about how many pieces of information you know mike yeah there's right. a handful but that's <laughs> yeah one or two you're you're, you're low on i shouldn't use you as an example but <laughs> so how many life experiences well anything new has to penetrate and pass over and to somehow somewhere it's gonna fuse on that great neuroplasticity and so at night you're gonna allow that shit to settle in you know yeah. in, in your you know your short little REM cycle of sleep that you have, man, in order for you to learn from it and be better the next day. Yeah. Man, I, I it, it took me a long time to realize that and to accept my own deficiencies first, saying, man, I'm horrible at this myself. Yeah. How do I train myself out of it? No, I mean, you know, the to me, the interesting component to that of hearing you explain it is that, you know, my my first um, thought process goes right to dogs, you know, naturally. And, and we were talking about it a, a little bit uh, earlier today, but you know, the, the ability for me as a trainer or anybody as a dog owner to communicate effectively to your dog hinges on your ability to project yourself into their perspective or, or put yourself in their shoes unbelievable you know and and that's the only way it works whether and again whether it's people or with dogs and, and the and the thing that i've found with dogs that that actually makes dealing with people far more easy is the fact that you can't explain a fucking thing to them <laughs> you know like you you have to be able to to physically put yourself in their shoes and and you know this is one of the things i, I tell people all the time you know a dog's mind works more like a calculator than it does our mind. Interesting. Because it's, it's just making simple associations with everything. You know, if you think about it, 
not to get too off on a tangent on no, dogs. No, I but, like your tangents, dude, because they're brilliant. You know, so so dogs, you know, think about, I mean, you have a dog now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 92-pound Rhodesian Ridgeback, who's nine, so whose nine. whole attitude is changing yeah. because I don't have him full-time anymore. Yeah. But but think about, uh, what's the dog's name? Zulu. Zulu. So think about Zulu. Zulu, for the, it, its entire life, right, it, its entire existence, has never thought in a language. Wow. You know, like it's hard to even wrap your fucking brain around that. Mm-hmm. But like that, that single component in and of itself is, is, is and should be what is at the forefront of your brain every fucking time you're trying to do anything with it. Because it, it does not reason. It, it does not use logic and a thought process in a verbal language the way we do. They don't dream in a language. They don't think in a language. They don't communicate in a language. Uh, not in a verbal language, mm-hmm. you know. And so... Because of that, you've got to realize is that you know the, when, a, when a dog interacts with everything, whether it's the first time or it's the thousandth time, is that it's, it's pairing patterns and associations. And mm-hmm. so if it's the first time, it's, it's inquisitive. It's trying to figure out, okay, what the fuck is this? And, and it may investigate it. It may smell it. It may look at it. It may go touch it. It may fucking growl at it. It may run away from it. You know, there's a million tangibles and variables that are going to dictate what that dog does environmentally, genetically, exposure, previous learning experiences, et cetera. But the fact is, is that what it's doing right out of the gate, the first time that it it, uh, comes in contact with that stimuli is that it's making an association somehow, you know, do dogs, I don't mean to jump in because I'm just thinking, do dogs have a memory bank of associations that's substantial too? Uh, And that's the way we train them. Okay. You know, so one of the, another analogy I use is think of a piggy bank, you know, and, and, and it works with PTS issues in dogs because they get it similarly to us, but it's not the same in that it's a thousand negative coins in a piggy bank with a negative association attached to X. Yeah. And so the way you get rid of that, and, and that's, this is the beauty of the simplicity of dogs is, and this is one of the t- uh, kind of foundational principles we employ with the warrior dog foundation is now I'm going to put 2000 positive coins with that same stimuli, right. but I'm going to, I'm going to baby step it. I'm going to scale it from where it's almost non-existent in terms of that stimuli where it's, it's just present enough for there to be a realization that it's in its existence. Right. And then it's and then it's overloaded with a positive association. And, and as that stimuli gets stronger, more powerful, closer, louder, whatever it is, whether it's gunfire, helicopters grabbing their collar, fucking pick something, is that you're you're you have the ability to to erase and and replace that negative pairing usually. I mean, there are instances where you really got your work cut out for you and it takes years to get rid of some of that right. baggage. But I eat trauma on yeah, you stores. know, but, but isn't that interesting that dogs you know, they have a longevity of trauma as well, just like humans, yeah. right? But but it's, you know, again, the, 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 this is where dogs and people vary drastically, is that we have the ability to think about it and rationalize it and why did it happen and, and how is that affecting me and can I play the victim? With dogs, it's it's a survival instinct. In, in essence, if it's if it's to where it's scaring them, shutting them down, uh, eliciting a, a reactive, aggressive, you know, type of response, it, it's basic survivability instinct. You know, right. it's that they're scared of something, or they're aggressive. You know, they either shut down or they default to the other way of, of being offensive towards it. But yeah, it, it's you know they're making just that association. It's you know it's it's. It's it's classical conditioning and operant conditioning right. in, in a certain respect, and then it's touching the fucking stove and you got burnt. Well, yeah. I'm stop touching the fucking stove. Then. <laughs> you know, so Pavlov was a genius. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you know, it, it it really is that simple. And and similarly to Apple products, 
is that you know dogs' minds are so fucking simple sometimes that we overcomplicate it because we we anthropomorphize. You know, we we attach all of these human emotions and, and logical thought processes to a dog's brain that just doesn't fucking it doesn't exist. exist. Yeah, you know, so um, that's that's really the the key component. The reason I brought it up was that in hearing you explain it that way, you know, is, is that you know dogs. The, the, the beauty of, of being able to work with them is, is it makes dealing with people actually even easier. Much easier, you know, be, I would be, assume. Yeah, because you're, you're so used to not being able to explain it, and you have to just go through repetition and reinforcement and shaping and consistency to where now, yeah, I mean, like now that I, ha- I have the luxury to explain something to you, it, it's exactly that. It's a, it's a fucking luxury. You right. Know? But one thing I wanted to, to just build a little context uh, before we get into some of the working stuff and then back to the frog logic stories it's just kind of a quick history on you. I like to do this with every guest and uh, just ask, uh, where where are you from? Where did you grow up? Uh, Boca Raton, Florida. So you're right there where you're at. Right there where yeah. I'm at, man. My parents, everybody was from Michigan, and mom and dad had a choice. My dad's parents went out to California. My mom's parents went down to uh, Fort Lauderdale, and my mom made it abundantly clear they were not going to California, <laughs> right? Uh, so... Uh, they moved down. I was born in 72. We moved to Boca in 73. My dad set up a, a law firm, law practice there, built it up. And, and I grew up in this just amazing, incredible, you know, Boca was a small, sleepy beach town until about 84. And then New York State passed a law that when you turn 65, you got to move to Boca Raton and take <laughs> 70 of your relatives with you. And it changed to the sixth borough. <laughs> So, yeah, um, now it it was a a phenomenal place. And, you know, I, it, I had one of the most incredible childhoods you could ever even dream of. I mean, mean, I'm assuming you spent a lot of time on the beach then, right? But the the surf sucks there, right? Like it's it's not not good. I mean, but when you're, I didn't start surfing until I was 12 or 12, we started boogie boards, me and that guy, Rich. And, uh, we had gone up to Sebastian Inlet and I remember seeing Kelly Slater, who was a year younger, older, just shredding. I'm like, I want to do that. That's cool. And, but it never caught on cause I was a sports junkie. I, yeah. I, it was uh, football, you know, soccer, baseball, then it was football, basketball, lacrosse. And that's all I cared about. And yeah. that was it. That was yeah. my life. Uh, so, you know, in terms of any, any, occurrences or uh, you know evolutions any were there any events that took place growing up that had a whether it's traumatic or profound or or both you know were there any kind of you know big big ticket items that happened during your childhood that really changed you or or you know is something that that really detoured or made you pivot uh, you know on a different path not really. I mean, I was pretty oblivious as a kid. I, I again, I, athletics was. I had put myself in this, you know, physical, mental, and emotional silo. That athletic, I was defined by, you know, my athletic capability within my dream of playing collegiate Division One football. That was all I wanted to do as a quarterback, and and so everything else it wasn't a big deal to me. I. Yeah. There was, you know, I, I didn't have much trauma, although, you know, later on I, I discovered that, you know, my brother was uh, gay uh, and my parents had hid that from me. Uh, you know, he was addicted to cocaine and older, it was an alcohol, older, older, five years older. You know, he was my hero until I was like, 
you know, six or seven, and then all of a sudden he disappeared. And that's when everything started happening. And he was experiencing this radical change and they handled it really poorly. And like you ask about his upbringing, it's 180 degrees different from mine. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't aware of any of that because I was selfish and in my own little, my state, you know, I went to, you know, public grade school, which was teeny. And then I went to a private middle school and then a private high school and, I was in friggin' La La Land. Did you, did you wear the plaid skirt? Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I definitely wore, uh, 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 yeah, it was the St. Andrew's Scots, right? And yeah. so, no, um, my, my shift happened when, you know, senior year, we were 0-10, didn't get any offers. So I had to do a fifth year high school at a prep school up in Connecticut. Went up there to play football. Guy recruited another quarterback. We ended up splitting time. He all he wanted to, he wanted to go to Penn, UPenn, to where his dad went, where his dad's dad went. So he got in there. I didn't have the stats to go D one, but I was a pretty decent lacrosse player. I'd been the Florida national representative in the all the national all star game uh, for Florida, and that wasn't a big deal back then because there weren't that many teams, but. It got me on the radar for certain coaches. So I was able to go to Penn State where I figured I'd walk on the Penn State football team. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, long story short, the freshman quarterback was Kerry Collins, a yeah. guy who played 16 seasons yeah. in the NFL. I mean, he was yeah. phenomenal. So you whipped his ass. and then No, I quit like a bitch. <laughs> I mean, I gave up because if I wasn't going to be the starter and be the star, yeah. then it wasn't worth my time. Yeah. And I, I had never experienced – Failure. I'd never quit anything before in my life. Even when I was a kid, I, you know, my 85 pound Boca Jet team, I, I was forced to sit the bench all year because the coach put his son in a quarterback because I went on a family trip at the beginning of the season, right? And, he, and I was like, you know, if I go on this trip, am I not going to start? No, you're good. Come back, didn't start, didn't play all year, didn't even quit that team. Nowadays, kid be gone five yeah. seconds, right? Yeah. And my parents were like, you're not quitting. So I never quit, never anything. Well, anyways, I gave up on that dream and it shattered me yeah. a million pieces. And I climbed in the bottom of a bottle of Jack, abused drugs, uh, ended up getting kicked off the lacrosse team pretty rapidly and was miserable. But that really threw my perspective on the world and to upside down. Yeah. And that was the real shift for me in my life. How, how many were you there just one year or not even a year? At Penn State? Yeah. I was there four years. Oh, my, my, my parents were, again, the, the coolest, kindest parents on the planet. They, you know, my dad's first inclination is rip that kid out, put him in a job, make him whatever. But my mom was, and she didn't know what to do because my brother dropped out of college. You know, he's an addict and all this stuff. And meanwhile, my whole family, it's like, it's like 12 lawyers in my family. Yeah. I mean, everybody's an academic, you know, Duke, University of Michigan, everybody's brilliant. And then here, my brother and I are meatheads and he wasn't a meathead. He, he's just struggling with some other issues. But, you know, I, they were cool and they're like, you stay, figure it out. And, and it was funny because I, my grade point average during the year was like a one four, right? Yeah, that's pretty, pretty healthy. Yeah, real good. <laughs> my grade point average in the summer was a 4.0. Yeah. So I'd catch up in summer and, <laughs> and I'd manage to figure it out. But what I did discover is that I actually had a brain. Yeah. And so I started reading and I read everything i could wrap my mind around i mean you had those books you know that we looked at over there man i love that you're reading all that stuff from from emerson to you know uh socrates to descartes to you know everything you can think about 
and I got into art, art, you know, all artists and artist background, what drives them. And, and it was my first discovery that, hey, man, I have more than just a, a good arm. I actually have a mind, but I had no idea where to place it, put it, or anything, bro. Yeah. And so I just kind of stayed in this space of, in, of really ultimately depression because I, I started battling depression for about four years. So. Yeah. Did you end up graduating from Penn State? No, I, 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 my big shift um, was crazy because, you know, on your show with Andy, you talked about, you know, that time frame and what was the inspiration. And, you know, I, my freshman year, my next door neighbor, this guy from Scranton, PA, was in the Army Reserves. And he had given me this book. He's like, Rutherford, I think you'd, you'd like this book. And it was Men with Green Faces. Yeah. And I read that. And I was like, that's friggin' cool. And I'd never heard about SEALs. I knew about SF and Green Berets. And I was a big playing army guy and a kid. Loved Deer Hunter and Apocalypse Now and all that. But, and so I read this. Well, fast forward, April 95, I have my first big God moment in my life. I didn't know it then. but And it was like I had hit rock bottom where I didn't have any direction. I, and I knew it. I was conscious in it. And I said, I got to change my life right now. And so the decision was, man, what those guys talked about in that book, that camaraderie, because I realized very quickly all my success in my whole life had been as a result of being on a team. Mm -hmm. All my self-confidence, my ability to assess fear, purpose, like we talked about before, real meaning and purpose in life was just to win, to be yeah. a part of a team and that. So I was like, well, what better place to go to yeah. retrain me than this program I had nothing, no idea about. Yeah. Supposedly pretty hard, but I'm a former Division One athlete. What you know? Who cares? Yeah. You know, I'll I'll cruise through that, <laughs> you know, and be a part of this epic team. And then it would also satiate a big fear I had with. I didn't know if I would ever be able to stand side by side next to great men because of my fear of death, my fear of. Uh, you know, I didn't have st real strength because of where I grew up. You know, I didn't have hardships growing up, really. You know, so I had all these fears that I manifested through this depression. So I dropped out in uh, November 90 or, or, you know, May 95 and came home. And within a couple weeks, I was, you know, watching uh, Be Someone Special in the recruiter's <laughs> office and signing on, the dotted, yeah, yeah. signing on the yeah. dotted line, man. Yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting is, is that, you know, it's, it, it, to me, it's rare that the primary motivator and, and inspiration for joining a group like that, you know, and I've had a number of SEALs on and, and, uh, and other soft guys or equally elite in terms of the, you know, divisions of law enforcement or whatever, um, is that it wasn't really an inspiration of service to your country slash, you know, military fondness. It was, I want to be part of a fucking team and, and, and prove something, right? I mean, is that... What am I worth, Yeah. right? How valuable am I in the greater context of what society or culture or history or whatever you want to spin it with? Yeah. How do I measure up next to other great men? Yeah. And I wasn't going to be able to do it athletically anymore, and I eventually got to the spot where I realized that a 511, you know, you know, 100 and well, by then I was like 200 pounds, 200 pound guy running a 540, yeah. you know, physiologically could not compete at the division one level. Just from my release point height alone was six, you know, six, two and a half. And, and I, you know, my speed, like 12 feet. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, Carrie was six foot five. 
255 pounds. He had a two-step 80-yard ball. Yeah. He was built to be a quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. And, that, and I couldn't compete with that. Yeah. You know, you look at Breeze or, or Flutie, they're anomalies. They're outliers. It's yeah. not the case. Physics yeah. play a role. But within the SEAL community, I, I knew that that was a better measurement of the greater sense of masculinity mm-hmm. right yeah. and what that encompasses well it's a, it's a far more elite club i mean that's the reality of it and, and that's one of those things like i, I remember uh, hearing that statistic going through buds or, or shortly thereafter that you have a, a better chance of running into a professional football player than an active duty navy seal you know way better on numbers wise you know so yeah i mean it's it's a dude there's only what i guess it's like right around twelve thousand since 1943 yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, just numbers alone, like, it's a fucking unicorn club, yep. you know, to a certain extent. So, yeah, I mean, I, I hear you. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting component, but uh, I think it's one that's, that's fairly common within the community, you know? I, it, it, it's common amongst all young men, really. I mean, it's rare. I think it's even a lot of people like to slam millennials nowadays, and, and, and I'm trying to work my way around. It's very difficult, but I'm trying to work my way around. I mean, obviously, it's all influence and in what the expectation upon them it is, right? And everybody wants to preach about demasculization and all this, you know, beta male stuff and all, whatever. Uh, my, my sense is every, every young man wants to measure up to something, most particularly at its core, it's your father in some capacity. Secondary, it's, it's, it's siblings, tertiary, it's, uh, you know, mentor type influences in your life, a great teacher, a great coach, you know, somebody at church or whatever. Right. And you're, you say, all right, that's, that's what I think I need to be. Right. Well, now that the teams are exposed and there's like, that becomes the apex measurement of masculinity. And so it isn't about, I want to serve deeply. It's like, man, I want to see if I got yeah. what it takes, yeah. dude. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I want to be able to say that I did that. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a, it's, I mean, that's, that's for sure a primal genetic wiring component of being a fucking dude. There's, there's no two ways about it. You know, um, I could spend the rest of the show slamming millennials cause, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's what I do. But, that's uh, what I do. Uh, Let's yeah. just have a slam millennial shows. Yeah, right? we will. yeah. We'll bring you back and we'll spend three hours just fucking dissecting yeah. millennials. Yeah. Um, I love it. All right. So you went to buds just a little before me. It was what? Two ten, two twelve. I started in two Oh five, November, 1995. And then I graduated with 209 in February of 97. <laughs> so you were a career buds guy. for. <laughs> I, I used to think, I, I used to be prideful of that, and now it's outright humiliating. But <laughs> I always check myself through Jerry Weir's, right? Yeah. Jerry Weir's was 29 months total, I think. Yeah. So I'm not even in the, in the yeah. ballpark. But yeah. as it related to a lot of my close friends, yeah, who went straight through. And, yeah. you know, I, I always measure myself again you know the person that i'm like there's no way in hell that person's gonna make it and then they go straight through with no problem nick hawks is my favorite one you know a a 125 pound soaking wet 18 year old kid from indianapolis who is the cockiest human being on the planet (laughs) and he goes straight through butts right and here i am there for 15 months double the pleasure right i look back now and, and and appease my own sense of disgrace 
in the in it and by saying, "Man, I was so screwed up. I needed the double extra time to get <laughs> yeah. my shit together." Right. Yeah. So yeah. was it a combination of performance and medical role? Or first one, two oh five ITB bands got so inflamed, I couldn't bend my knees. Uh, they rolled me to two oh six. So like a genius, I'm going. Well, I'm that ain't gonna happen again. So every day after work. I'm going and running additional oh, four mile runs, soft sand runs in shoes on the thing every day. Much, and that's on top of the nine miles I'm running every day, just the chow and all yeah. the other shit we're doing. Yeah. By week one, day one, feeling awesome. And I was also road guard too. So lots of, because yeah. what? Road guard, you get longer time in the chow hall to sit down and enjoy your yeah. food, process your food. I figured that was better. But you you know, run twice as far. Twice as far, yeah. twice as fast, twice the impact. Didn't. I'm not smart enough for that shit, right? <laughs> so by the end of that first week, I woke up on Friday. I had insane, crazy pain shooting through my feet, my legs. I try and make it through half the day. Finally, they're like, go over there, check it out. I go over stress fractures, both tib fibs. Uh, go in. Uh, the doc said, you're done. Performance drop. I'm at, you're out. Medical dropping you. I go over to the BTO. I'm in seeing attention he looks at me he goes rutherford you know you know what's going on here and i was like sir he's like listen first of all you you need to relax a little bit and tell me because this is your only shot yeah and i was like sir man i have no idea what's going on i'm a former division one athlete i've never had problems i you know my lay i've always been a runner i could sprint i could run uh i don't know what's happening this is what i did to prepare and he goes, wait here. And, he, and I'm, you know, I'm like, fuck, I'm done, right? He goes over to PTRR, and I didn't find out t- this till much later, but he had gone over and talked to Rewerts, mm-hmm. Warren Officer Rewerts. And for some reason... Because that guy hated every fucking buddy, by the way. Hated people. Yeah. Hated. Yeah. And, and many times directed that hatred at me because yeah. I had the mouth, right? <laughs> right? Always had the mouth. But apparently... <laughs> He noticed that the mouth, the majority of time, was trying to get guys motivated to complete, regardless of their skill set or what. I didn't care. I just wanted, I got the team thing. I always thrived in the team environment, and so I, I, I loved to be the motivator. It, it made me work harder to do that, right? To serve others, t- to be better, and make me forget about my own pain at the time. And apparently, he said, if Rutherford can get healthy, he'll, he'll make a pretty decent frogman. So he comes over, he goes... That's got to be the only time that's ever happened. <laughs> no, I've had my career saved. No, I mean, of him, him saying... No, that. no, man. I, I, apparently, he ended up saving an incredible amount of careers oh, because he understood he was, he was beneath the insanely crazed, just scary exterior... Apparently, he understood training and within the human condition and our evolutionary process within yeah. that whole, better than everybody else. That's why they put him at the head of PTRR. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I first showed up, it was as he was leaving. Uh, and I mean, there were stories of like for days in a row, he would take the group out at the end of the day and, and he, would, he would beat them until somebody quit. Yep. Like most days. Most know? days. You know, and it would just be like, well, we're going to stay out here until one of you fucking quits. Like Jesus Christ, you know that's fucking. And dudes hard. would do it, yeah. so because they were like, "Well, because everybody's <laughs> on, everybody's team. on the edge, anyways, yeah. right? Yeah, everybody's right there. That's the yeah. fascinating aspect of our program. Yeah. You go through those those high, and, and it yeah. cracks me up when dudes are like, oh, "I never thought about quit once." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so, but he understood that, right? 
you know, and another, you know, we, we had Andy Stump on our show as well too. And, and I love his stories about, he goes, I became an expert at when people were at the breaking point and then I'd push them over, yeah. like happily push them over yeah. into the most miserable decision they've ever had of their life. So haunt them for the yeah. rest of their days. Yeah. Right. Give them the, uh, <laughs> the, the 300, this is Sparta kick to the fucking <laughs> chest. <laughs> yeah. Here's the bell. Right. Yeah. And yeah. he was, be- he was genius. Well, so this guy was responsible, you know, for keeping me. The guy comes back in. He goes, well, what do you, all right, it's your lucky day. You got a little Bud's Angel over there. What's your, what do you want? You want a single roll or a double roll? And me being the smart one, yeah. I'm like, I'll take the double roll. Because <laughs> I figure I could get my legs, more time. Yeah. Worst decision I ever made. It yeah. ultimately worked out, but it was, it was not a good decision. Because in that, that, that period of abyss, I really came off mentally where I needed to be. Um, thankfully, I, 208 was a great class filled with a bunch of amazing guys. I mean, my boat crew, you know, was Rob O'Neill, uh, Adam Smith, the Admiral's son. It was three other, four other pipe hitters, guys, really just powerful guys that were as dumb as I was and just motivated to be there. And so it lifted me back out and, Made it through, and then pool comp. Just my only performance failure, and and I it just shattered me, and and reset two oh nine, and then finished with those yeah. guys. And then you went you went to uh, eighteen delta. Oh, right? bro, dude, my career was absurd, <laughs> absolutely absurd. I spent four months at Team Five cleaning shitters and picking up cigarette butts. Right, no gear, no nothing, getting hammered every day as a new guy. Jump school. 18 Delta, working at Master at Arms, right? Come back, check on board Team One. And, and meanwhile, at 18 Delta, undesignated seaman, right? No trident. <laughs> Cleaning shitters because I was the lowest guy, right? Yeah. Get back to Team One. Now I'm 18 Delta grad. Guess where I went? Master at Arms, cleaning shitters there for, I don't know, a few months, right? You're, you're master shitter. I am a master shitters cleaning. In fact, the whole first year, like three or four years of me speaking to like corporate and teams and stuff was all about, hey, at every place in your in your career, in your evolution, you need to be prepared to go clean the shitters, yeah, right? Because yeah. that's ultimately the humility we need, right, is, yeah. is to be able to go clean the shitters with everybody else. It resets you. And then that's where, you know, then SQT started and that's where we had, that's where we met. Yep. Cleaning more shitters a lot there. (laughs) I was the best at it. I took the lead there. Uh, went back team one worked in the, finally got to work in an actual department (laughs) until my platoon started. Um, here's another beauty. Took my board back when we're still doing boards and ours were the worst crushed my board, went into my chief's board and they destroyed me. Yeah. And they ate me up, and they put me on probation. Oh shit! Yeah, horrible. So, what, what was the uh, the type of questioning, and like what what was it that it broke went you? down? The fact that I was a quitter in college, I was a quitter in buds because it took me so long. <laughs> I was a loudmouth punk. Uh, you know, they they brutalized me, yeah. and I was just shattered. And they held my trident, so got in a platoon and i'm like three months into my platoon mind you guys in my platoon and their second platoons graduated three four five classes after me (laughs) right and they're hazing the shit out of me and i don't have a trident jesus matt yeah hoo-yah corman hoo-yah 18 delta right (laughs) 
And but the humility and all that was profound. And yeah. and finally, uh, my senior chief goes into the master chief. Wally Graves was my senior, awesome, one of the greatest yeah. influencers I've ever had. Amazing human being. Very similar backgrounds and how we grew up. His dad was a doctor, grew up in Florida, all that. He was a medic. I was a medic. Um, he finally, like, we're going on our first big trip, and I'm like, Wally, man, you, you think I could get a, get my trident, man? <laughs> you know? And he's like, he's like, oh, you still don't have like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> and he walks into the Master Chief's office, and he's like, uh, hey, Master Chief, you know, what do you think? When can Rutherford come off probation? And he's like, who? <laughs> and he's like, Rutherford, still don't have his, his trident. And he looks up on his board, and he goes, oh, yeah, go give it to him. <laughs> no shit. And that was... I was one of the reasons amongst several other guys, a lot of guys from Team 2, from other teams that were the Stalogs, that changed it to set it in the pipeline yeah. to where you go, Buds, SQT, you're pinned. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, that's something I, I think Andy and I talked about. I, I think it's a mistake, you know, and it's not just because we did it that way. I just... I. I I still think it should be it should be earned amongst your peers that are that are carrying it and not in that pipeline. You know, I and mean, that's just my fucking take on it. But I, I, I I'm going to disagree with you on it because I I lost out on a tremendous amount of opportunities. I lost out on a truckload of pay. That, yeah. You know, I I it's got to be based on merit, and I think your peers. So what I think is your probationary. You get it. You get in your platoon, and your platoon has the right to where you don't get to wear it if you don't measure up based on certain criteria. Well, I mean, fuck, they essentially do that anyway. At least, I mean, that's my understanding is that it's like, yeah, you have it, but you don't have it until we give you the thumbs up. Like, you've been awarded it and whatever, but maybe that's the happy medium. You know, I don't know. Is, I, is that they just do it that way? But I, I just think there was so much discrepancy because I remember guys showing up at Team 5 and literally – they gave them their that book and 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 three weeks later they had their tridents on yeah. making jump pay dive pay hazardous duty pay their bah went up yeah. you know and so you add an extra fifteen hundred or thousand dollars and and it didn't even matter if they were turds yeah. or whatever so yeah. i i believe you know it, it should somehow there should be a yeah some i don't know i i, I think it's working I, I guess for me you know the the answer then is you know from a pay perspective give them jump pay dive pay but motherfuckers symbolically you're not wearing that until you really earn it amongst you know i'd go for that i'd go for that i mean it was i mean living on everybody else is living on e4 pay and i'm living on e4 pay and i'm a thousand dollars under everybody else so i'm you know i'm struggling to pay my bills um you add that on everything else and i know i'm you know got the world's smallest violin (laughs) right now but it's tough as a young kid trying to figure all that shit out right so yeah how do you how do you bankroll the titty bar you know and that's where i was daily right i mean shout out to pacers (laughs) Uh, yeah all right so you were at team one for uh, did you do one one deployment one deployment was that a combat deployment no man that was pre-9-11 and it was uh, ridiculous yeah i i I, uh, it was an amazing group of guys i think had something been going on we would have really done well had we not had any international liberty risk incidents yeah which we flirted with a bunch but it was a Great bunch of guys, very dedicated, worked really hard, um, but there's just nothing, man. Yeah. 
Nothing. No, I know. I know. I know. There's uh, there's plenty of people with uh, just you know right place, right time, or wrong place, wrong time. Yep. But, uh, so you transition out, and, and what what happens? Like, so you got out just before nine? No, no. So I we come off that, go in my second platoon, stoked. I had some amazing, another insanely awesome chief, uh, great LPO, some decent officers, getting ready. They I had to go get my um, quals back up at my research. So I go down to San Antonio. I'm down there working in the hospitals. These are, I'm getting, going through San, University of Texas San Antonio emergency medicine. And like a month in it, I get a call and it's my LPO and it, uh, Kyle Gillespie. And, and Kyle's like, hey, Rut, man, I got to break. I got to tell you, man, uh, we had to let you go. Uh, the command had to let you go. Uh, uh, the center, Naval Special Warfare Center, uh, they needed an instructor. They put out a call, East West Coast team. Uh, and uh, Master Chief uh, Rogered your name up. You're going SQT. No shit. Yep. No way. Yep. Holy fuck. Yep. As a one platoon wonder. No shit. Yeah, brother. Needless to say, and I was, I always, much like I drank the Kool-Aid of the Freedom Fight and Root and Toot and Barrel-Chested Frogman stuff and, you know, work hard, play hard, and I definitely pushed the envelope of that way too much to the detriment of my career, I think, in many, many circumstances. But this was a, a, a really difficult moment for me. Sure. And I fell off the deep end again and really just didn't give a shit. And I showed up and I was miserable and I didn't care. And I'm like, and, and it wasn't as a result of I didn't care about the teams or the Navy or I, you know, it was just, I was afraid that, what the hell am I going to teach these chi- these kids that are gung-ho to become frogman that I literally just went through two years before, whatever it was. What am I going to, how am I going to impact these guys? I don't know anything. And I'm going to be here for two years. I mean, I, and I was pissed and I, it came out. Well, thank God uh, it didn't take very long before Bruce pulls me into his office and he's like, all right, Rutherford, I'm going to, I'm sending you a captain's mask. I'm going to pull your trident. And I was like, whoa, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hall, you know, like, whoa, Bruce, wait, what do you mean? He goes, dude, you're a shit bag. No shit. Yeah, you're a turd. You show up, you reek alcohol, your, your, sta- your, your space is shit, uh, your classes aren't crisp, you're not, he's like, you're gone. I don't give a shit. And I, and I was like, but Bruce this, you know, this is what's up. And he's like, I don't give a shit. This is your job. Yeah. This is, I don't care where, what happened to you. doesn't matter. You show up here. And I was around pipe hitters, right? Mm-hmm. Good. Lennig. I mean, dudes that were legit, legit pipe hitters, man. And, and he's like, you're done. And I, and so I kind of broke down and I was like, but, you know, what's, and he's like, and he goes, well, what's the problem? And I said, I'm afraid I'm a one platoon one, or I'm, I'm afraid I'm not going to be respected. I don't know anything. And he goes, well, now you're starting to talk truthfully to me. And he goes, well, you know, what are you good at? And he goes, I've watched, you know, the medical stuff. I don't, you know that you're good at, you're good teaching. He goes, what else? And I go, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I've always kind of been the motivator and goes, well, then be the motivator here for until you get your feet wet. But come to work every day like you want to be here. And we'll teach you. We'll teach you how to be a great instructor. And that's what I did. I changed and I got into it. And so you didn't go to captain's mass? I did not go to captain's <laughs> mass. And didn't w- within a short period of time, he had put me in charge of all the man down stuff, 
all the different types of TCCC. He let me, you know, teach every course there was as a lead for a little bit. He he helped me become, and all those guys took me under their wing and helped me become a really good instructor. Now, you know, I I, I was that was my space. Well, nine eleven happens. Everything changes while you're there. While I'm there, everything changes. And I remember not long after that, uh, I ran into a, a former buddy at Team One who had, he was at a training. He'd gotten back in a platoon. And I was like, bro, how are you in a platoon? He's like, they need bodies at one. And he's like, dude, there's a mobility platoon firing up. It's called <laughs> DPV platoon, man. Christ. You put your name in for it, bro. Go to combat, right? Go to Afghanistan. I was like, done man so i go back i find out about it i go to bruce and and mike lou and i'm like you know bruce first and i say hey bruce can i put my name into this and there's like 13 other dudes right all with truckloads more experience than me truckloads and he's like no way no way we're screaming we got a war going on we need to pump these dudes out you're one of my best instructors you're killing it nope you're not going anywhere So I went back and I wrote down the history of my career as a medic and what had happened as a result of it. All the different times that that took precedent over a greater advancement in me becoming a better frogman, right? Just Mm -hmm. because that's, it was a dysfunctional, the program for us was not set up very well. And, and so we were kind of an afterthought and everybody thought because we were getting this good deal of 18 Delta that, you you know, remember the way they treated back in the day and, and pecker checker checker. and at (laughs) one, you, that's the way, I mean, it was bad. You were worthless. Right. And so I wrote up this like four page letter explaining, Hey, if I get to go on this platoon, it's going to change my career. Let really let me do this I'll, i won't let you down I'll prove. he read it and he's like wow he's like okay you know I'm, I'm gonna put you in for it and he went to lou mike lou and he said is this accurate and you're honest that if you this will be your second platoon you, you you'll screen you'll do 30 all that and i was like yeah 100 percent. this is my my chance and he's like all right so they went to the mass chief will guide guile that time who was command mass chief of the center pitched to him he was like, all right, I'm going to take your word for it. He went to Smithers, pitched to him, took Smithers, sat on it the whole weekend because he was making the decision, and he picked me. No shit. Yeah, and I got in that platoon, the DPV platoon going over. And so immediately went over TDY, got in. That's Desert Patrol's DPV. Yeah, and Desert T- Patrol. TDY is you know, basically a... a no, I guess not a half, a vacation a half from you. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a, a temporary fucking position, temporary duty, right? Yeah. And assignment or whatever it is. I went over there and I got in that platoon. I was that started. That was like end of January, end of March. I'm I'm in Dubai, uh, waiting for the platoon to come over. I did the advon. They're there, seventy five straight days training with those things. Because, dude, I couldn't even change my oil before that, right? <laughs> but now I'm, I'm rebuilding carburetors. 75 days, we were in Afghanistan, in Bagram, end of May 2002. Oh, shit. Yeah. What, uh, so what was that experience like? The best and the worst experience of my life, you know? Mm. Um, it was in a really peculiar time. Uh, it was after Torbora. 
We lost Neil. Matt Bourgeois got blown up. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, Tarnock Farms. And so we had put, and I didn't learn a, till, a lot of this till much later. We, the agency had put Car's Eye into power, right? We were orchestrating that whole thing. Uh, and so the summer we'd started out and, and nobody really knew because JSOC and the agency still controlled all the battle space. So we were like, we thought we were going to show up and there'd be, here's a stack of, uh, of, of missions for you. Pick out whichever one you want. You're yeah. a SEAL team, go pick out, yeah. you know? And we didn't, nobody knew because nobody had been doing it at all. Yeah. And I remember I was like, all right, who knows what's going on? So I started going out and asking every. Unit that Do you we know where the bad guys are? <laughs> yes, literally, bro. Literally, literally. Like, I'll never forget the Aussies coming in after being out for 30 days on their lorries, looking like they had just kicked ass. They were road warrior looking dudes. I'm like, they just were. Where the fuck, fuck were you just? I just went up. I said, hey, man, what did you do? <laughs> All right, this is what you. Yeah. And then I went over to the, the SF, this old. All the old guys, it was yeah. the reserve unit. And yeah. these dudes, two of the dudes had been in Pakistan training <laughs> Stinger missiles back in the 80s, right? Jesus and they're, they're out, dude, and they're out there and they got jingle trucks and they got Hodge gear. And I'm like, what are you guys doing, <laughs> right? And as it turns out, the battle spaces, nobody knew. The, J, the talks were all unorganized because JSOC was not saying anything to anybody. It was still hyper-compartmentalized. The agency, sure, shit won't talk to anybody. And, um, but these guys had learned whatever area they give you, just get in your vehicles and go drive around and pick a fight, yeah. right? Recon by fire. Recon by fire, and yeah. that's it. And so we were the, like the other SEAL Team 1 platoon, they didn't have any, no one had vehicles. We didn't even have vehicles, bro. I mean, people argue about not having armored vehicles. We didn't have vehicles. I know, we stole a Humvee in fucking Kuwait to drive into Iraq, for fuck's sake. Right there, bro. (laughs) We borrowed the CanSoft troop carrier Humvees so we could go operate, because the DPVs suck in Afghanistan, right? They suck, period. Suck? Well, dude, they're super fun driving in an open desert, right? So... We just said, all right, let's do it. But, you know, it didn't take very long before after doing a couple recons, identifying area where we knew there was a presence, uh, putting in for the follow-on, you know, hits and crickets and that something bigger than us was going on. At, at that time, I was so myopic, and I thought that we were the tip of the spear yeah. until realizing that we were like the little felt on the bottom <laughs> of the pawn on the chessboard of, of 400,000 pawns, right? We were just yeah. that little thing over there. It was a time where they were trying to organize the first loyal jirga, where all the, ta- all the warlords come together to you know, ratify Karzai's presence and all that. It was, we were coordinating the whole thing, and there was other bigger shit, but... And I and I and it made me get really frustrated yeah. uh, with what was going on, and so we left after about three and a half months. I left, I left Afghanistan summer two thousand two on September tenth, so not one year, one year almost to the date of nine eleven, and was more frustrated than I'd been in my entire career. Yeah. Did you guys have any uh, any contact? Any? Not really. Not really. Just, no, it was a joke. I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, yeah. that's, that's crazy for a lot of people here, but it's not it's not uncommon. I mean, there's, no. I, I, you know, there's plenty of fucking people that 
you know, did three six month deployments to you know two to Iraq and one to Afghanistan that, that didn't do shit. I mean, there's plenty that did, but yeah, like it, I I know that for you know for the listeners out there that aren't uh, you know military folks or or um, you know more intimately familiar with some of that, I think you know most people assume like, oh, you're a SEAL in Afghanistan, you must have thousands of stories. Like, not everybody does. Nope. Um, and and that, my my thing was. You go through all of that yeah. to come to the realization that you, even when you, you're, I mean, it's not even a year after 9-11. Yeah, and you're pulling chalks. If I can and, and you really, you know where the bad guys are. You know where to go get them. I mean, they gave us a battle space that was phenomenal within, which butt, right, butted right up against Spin Bulldog down in the southeast corner of, of Pakistan, which was the where, basically where we found out Mullah Omar was. And he was running all the shit that was the counterinsurgency out of, out of right there. So I went and did a little digging because I was the intel guy. I found out some stuff and that was our space all we had to do is go drive along the border and pick fights or set up on this one we found out where some cash sites had been and they always use the same shit over and we they got they shut down all those ops they wouldn't let us happen and so it was just like man i was just like totally dejected and 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 i realized man it's not what it's always cut out to be yeah um, doesn't look like the brochure. No, it yeah. doesn't. And, and you know, it, it, and you have to stomach that. And I think as a young, young man, I, I, I didn't stomach it well. Yeah. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast with firsthand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. You know, so. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you finish up the deployment right before the year anniversary of 9-11. You're dejected. You're fucking demoralized. You're. I would say probably bitter you know, yeah. about, about the job and what it represents to a certain extent. What, so from, can you walk us through that process of coming back and then ultimately getting out and transitioning uh, into the, the paramilitary civilian world? To a yeah, point? right. Um, I, you know, I came home and just was struggling a little bit with everything and like, wow, I'm, I'm this, I don't know. And then, were but you, it, were you married at this point? No, no, no. And I was like, "All right, no big deal. I'm going to come home. I'm going to screen. Uh, everything be good." That was my second platoon. So I, I, you know, took 30 days. I came back. There was a, a screening in November. And just for the listeners, real quick, the the screening means uh, trying out to go to SEAL Team Six. Yep. And. I went to Bruce and Mike, and I said, hey, there's my second one. Can I screen? They're like, yep, go. You got to get Master Chief from Team One that you're with to say, yeah. I went over. He said, yep. And then I'm like, all right, I'm ready. And they're like, nope, you got to get the detail to say, yeah. So I went to call the detailer. And I said, hey, man, screening coming <laughs> up. And he's like, he's no. like, he starts laughing on the phone. He's like, he's like, no way. You're not, you're not, you're not screening. There's no way you're doing that. First off, you're going to give me the nine month uh, back at, at SQT and the little combat vacation you took while the rest of us are in, you know, in the hole, you know? And I'm like, uh, and he's like, then 
basically, you know, you're not a full-blown 18 Delta. So you, you got to have that full thing before you go over there. So you're, I'm going to, you got to go back and finish that. And most likely, you know, probably because we're in a war and the regular teams are short, IDC Corman, I'm going to send you back to a regular team. And he had just shown up. I'm going to send you back to a regular team. And uh, you're going to do another platoon before I green light you to screen for Damnick. Now, I would have been 34, 35 years old, right, before I screened. And I was just, that was the last straw. And instead of backing up and, you know. Thinking about it. For thinking about it, <laughs> using the chain of command, realizing I could have worked through it or whatever. And just every, I was just, I was tired. Yeah. I was tired of the fact. And I said, well, I'll just change rate. And he goes, hell no, you're not changing rate. No way. Because there was a rash of guys that came in in that 18 yeah. Delta pro, or the Die Fair program yeah. that went through buds and then all changed their rate. And yeah. they lost this huge core group of guys that should have been medics. And so they shut that down. And at that point, I met a, a chick home on Christmas leave or, or I was dejected now again, you know, and literally met a chick uh, on Christmas leave. She liked punk rock and partying. And so I asked her to marry me in 25 days. And she did not want to be a Navy wife. She didn't want a deployment. She didn't want any of that. And I, quite frankly, was like, I'm done. And, and Iraq was kind of getting going, but I thought it would be another 100-day war. I had, how can you, you know, know? And after what I had just experienced in Afghanistan, I was like, well, Fuck what's, it. what's the point? Fuck it, you yeah. know? If this is what it is, screw it. Because mm. I was dumb, impetuous, selfish again. I was impulsive. Uh, impulsive for sure. And so I punched out at the end of that enlistment in uh, June of of '03, yeah. and it was devastating. There, there's a recurring theme with uh, you getting knocked flat on your ass and, and being shattered emotionally in, in a lot of these situations. That that you know, it just it's like a recurring theme. I didn't, I didn't want to, I guess whether it was I, I was idealistic or I was naive or I don't know. I really haven't been able to pinpoint what it is. Probably a, an amalgamation of all of those things. But I was never prepared for the truth of what life was really actually all about. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know if it's from my upbringing or... I was just going to say, yeah. I, I wonder, and, and, you know, from kind of a big picture, 30,000 foot view, psychological standpoint, like I know with dogs, there's an element of, uh, calculated stress and chaos that, that you have to put on them. And it starts with biosensor training as a fucking four, four day old puppy. It's very calculated. And what's stressful to a four day old puppy, obviously, is nothing to, to you know, a, a, even a two month old. But, right. you know, you're tickling their feet and you're turning them upside down. You're putting them on a cold, wet rag because it's a stimulus that, they, that they're like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. You know, but what that does is it, it, it increases lots of things. You know, it, 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 well, it lowers resting heart rate. It builds immunity. It, it builds their ability to, to, to take stress. And, and, but it's, it's mild enough amounts to where it's not, you know, ruining them and, and crushing, you know, their, uh, their, both their mentality and, and, uh, and their psyche. But it's, it's, you know, building that threshold to be able to deal with it, you know, and, and the and beauty it, of stress inoculation, yeah, yeah. right? And so yeah. it, it starts, you know, it, but to me, it's the same thing with kids. So yeah, I think I didn't have. Any of that. Yeah, and I think, you know, when I, I mean, I, I fuck with millennials or, or I, I, you know, talk <laughs> shit about bashing them, but I, you know, and, and the bitch of it is, is it's not their fault, 
you know, but I, I truly believe that there's a huge element of our society of, of those coddling helicopter douchebag parents that, that put their kids in a fucking bubble and it ruins them. You Let know? me ask you this. What do you think my kids do now? Now they're getting into like little combatives and they'll hit each other, bite each other. That's stupid stuff, right? Sisters, because they're together all the time. And so what, what do you think I do to those kids when, 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 that, when they do that? When they fight and shit, yep. I mean, I, I would hope you encourage it, honestly. Well, I I encourage standing up for yourself, but when it's the gut reaction of just smashing, you know, as an initiator, I I always encourage the feedback from it. But as an initiator, it's like, you know, hey, you can't solve your problems by hitting, right? You got to at least attempt a, a yeah. series of things. So it's not them just fucking around. No, it, it, it's legitimate. Okay. Yeah, so it's. I thought you meant uh, like in in a sense of play. Like no, 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 not at all. yeah, no. Roughhousing is it's full, uh, yeah, full, uh, full born, yeah. right? Okay. You know when they're being idiots, and and first thing they're going in, they're cleaning the bathrooms now, yeah. right? And they're going back to that sense of all right, there's repercussion for. Yeah. I never had any of that, man. Yeah. And I think, and not to blame my parents because they weren't they weren't pushovers in a sense, but I was so hyper focused in doing what I thought I had to do to appease them, to make them happy, which was stay athletic and accomplish, being accomplished on the field. And I did that. Yeah, I did it rigorously, and I worked hard. I mean, I was not a lazy kid. I mean, I'd throw 500 footballs a day. Mm-hmm. I'd work extra. If it was soccer season, I'd, I, I mean, there was one year I played on two football teams at once. I played on, you know, a 135-pound local team, and then I played on my – junior high team right so you know i'd go from you know so i wasn't a lazy kid but i certainly didn't have a lot of hardship imposed i I didn't have the psychological pain that would have better prepared me to manage a lot of this other stuff yeah and and i think again just like with dogs it's got to be you know in in essence calculated or or scaled appropriately to what you can handle because for 100 percent sure just like with dogs or young kids like you go too far and, and you'll ruin them, but destroy them. Yeah, but but if if they're exposed to none of that, and the first, you know, to me, I, I use the analogy in doing bite work with dogs is that you've you've got to teach them how to get their ass kicked, you know, and that's that's a fucking very specific and unique skill set, and you've you've got to be really nuanced in how you approach it, um, and and it's the subtleties that that will either make or break a, a fucking dog, and, and same thing with kids, I think, and that. You know, they've got to be exposed to certain things where they are challenged, where they do have to dig deep and overcome things. You've got to let them fail. You've got to let them be scared sometimes. You you know, you, you've got to let those experiences happen in a controlled environment where you can actually control it to a certain extent so that the first time when they get out into the real world, it's not like, holy fucking Christ. Because, you know, same thing in the analogy I use in the bite work of why I, you know, pick them up by their skin and, and do certain things that when people are like, Jesus, what are you doing that? Well, they're going to run into that in the real world. They're going to run into people trying to stab them with screwdrivers and stuff them in trash cans and, and, you know, beat the shit out of them when they're biting them. You know, if they're apprehending a twice convicted felon hopped up on fucking bath salts, like that guy's not going to just lay there and let them fuck them up. Exactly. You know, and, and so the analogy I, I typically will use with that is, you know, it's like taking a five 
five-year-old and teaching them Muay Thai. Yeah. But, you know, then they spend 10 years getting, you know, athletic, they're strong, they're powerful, they're accurate, their muscular endurance is through the roof, but they've never been hit, you know, and then they walk out and somebody just fucking elbows them right in the throat and they're like, Ow. what the fuck yeah. just happened? And they shut down. Yeah. And so I, I think with a lot of kids nowadays, I, I really think that, that there's an element of that is that the first time they go into the real world and, and get the fuck knocked out of them, you know, metaphorically. And figuratively. Yeah. Is that they're, they're like, wait a minute, like that, that wasn't part of the fucking program. Like, you know, timeout, like motherfucker, you don't get a timeout. The great Mike Tyson quote, right? Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the fucking (laughs) face. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and you gotta, you gotta know how to deal with that, you know? And so, yeah, I think, you know, whether it's dogs, kids, fucking people, whatever is that I have no doubt that there's probably an element to that, that, that hundred percent. And my other greatest hindrance, and I still suffered from it now is my arrogance. Yeah. Thinking that I, I was going to talk to you about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I was hoping you would. I need it. I mean, at least now I'm humble and arrogant, right? Yeah. Is, you know, I, you, when you, you know, you think you know more than you do and you yeah. don't. Yeah. And so that wake up call for me was always a struggle. And yeah. I thought because I had been exposed to certain things academically or whatever that somehow that translated into my emotional ability to manage disappoint high level disappointment or 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 whatever i was going with so you know getting out at that time was just horrible because i i i i hadn't really satiated what i had gone in to really do and and you know i absolutely that that morphs into the recognition of the the putting team ahead of self obviously but i hadn't actually done what I had intended to do at, at its fullest. Mm-hmm. And so I had that guilt of that leaving early. And then all of a sudden Iraq kicks off and now all of a sudden we're losing dudes. Now I'm feeling the guilt that I bailed early. Yeah. I tried to satiate that with Blackwater, but it, it didn't work. And, you know, so I, I'm like, all right, maybe this kick is, it up a notch Emerald style. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, I, I, I thought I, I could, I could ignore it by moving towards the kids and a greater sense of purpose and meaning, right? That I could somehow bury this other guilt I was experienced through that. I mean, it was a higher calling type thing. And at the, and then the economy collapsed. And so at the opportunity to go now, I'm going to go over work for the CIA and get <laughs> to do it. And, and, you know, training for two years, I'm like, I'm, my money's still not where my mouth is. All right. I'm going to go downrange with them and that's going to take care. And none of it did it. And, yeah. and it took me that long really until I'd say about 2012, 13 timeframe where I kind of had the next aha moment in my life where a big one where I realized that my purpose on this earth was not to be a pipe hitter like our friends. Right. Yeah. It's just not my purpose. I'm, I'm not supposed to be Marcus. I'm not supposed to be Jocko. I'm not supposed to be Andy. I'm not supposed to be these incredible human beings that were in the thick of it and, and, and did amazing. That's not my, my path. It just wasn't going to be. And, and you can't chase it either. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and so my purpose I've, I've discovered is I'm, I, have an, uh, an interesting kind of ability to connect with people because I'm humble enough now to that I'm not going to 
although I do judge and that's a big thing I'm working on now is try to, to minimize my level of judgment as a, as a, a default mechanism for my own ego. Um, but I'm open to hearing where people are coming from. I want to know. It fascinates me. And I believe that within all of us, there's a component of success that exists should we be able to know those motivational triggers. There's something in you that makes you a better man every day. And if I can help you identify those exact triggers and you to be able to pull those, then managing how difficult life truly is in the real world, you can get back into the fight faster, like I yeah, say. Yeah. So, and I, I, I kind of think that that's... I kind of believe my own bullshit on I, I think I'm <laughs> believing my shit. People keep coming back. They yeah. keep hiring me. You know, they keep listening on the show. They keep responding to the stuff I'm putting out. So, you know, at its core, you you said it best. I mean, what's the meaning of life? Why? Why? My two questions are... Who am I and why am I here? Yeah. Right? That's the biggie. Especially when I'm drunk. <laughs> or high <laughs> Where the now, fuck right? am I? Or high, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, for me, now it's if I can wake up every day and, and I know now I, I, I have... I can't force anybody to do anything, right? Mm. That's well, not why with I, that attitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> that, that's why I've got an ex-wife, right? It's because I can't force anybody to do. And it's it's and we gotta accept what's beyond our control. And so, what I've really made the greatest stride ever is to realize that it's not my job to change anybody, to shift directions, to push someone down a particular path. This, you know, this, you know, this grand, unique, you know, experience. That's not that's not my job, dude. Yeah. My job is to plant a small, teeny little ass seed that. A person, should they choose to believe in my sincerity or my genuine nature or whether or not they think I'm full of shit, to take that seed and to do what they want and for God to take care of the rest. So, yeah. but I mean, to me, what, what I, I love about, you know, your, your story, your experiences and, and what you do now is, is it all fits together fucking perfectly, honestly. You know, I mean, and embarrassingly, like there's a ton of shit that I've learned about you today. And, and that's one of the things I love about about you know doing interviews on podcasts and yeah. in, in the long form of you know hey fucking you know it's an open book and the gloves are coming off and whatever else is is exactly that is that uh, i'm fascinated by what drives everybody you know like i mean we talk you know in the groups that i talk to i, I just talked to a group of college students here last week on a retreat in, in northern michigan and, and that's how i started my talk was you know, what's the most common question, uh, in the world, you know, or, or in the history of mankind, what, you know, what's been asked the most. And I jokingly was like, and no, it's not what is twerking, you know, <laughs> uh, maybe in our age group it is, but, right. uh, you know, but, uh, I, I said, you know, think about in the broad spectrum of, of mankind. And, and there was one, one gal that got it right. And, and, uh, which was essentially, you know, what, what is the meaning of life? You know, and to me, it's, it's kind of a two-part answer is that ultimately, you know, it has to be purpose. And, and, and you, you've got to believe in and, and be driven to do what it is that you're doing. And, and to me, it doesn't make a fuck bit of difference what that is so long as it's important to you. Mm -hmm. uh, that's step one. Now, obviously, my, my advice to people is, you know, passion, it doesn't always put food on the table either. Like, you've got to figure out a, a strategic and smart way to to be able to ultimately monetize your passion again, whatever it is, however that is, but 
what I love about your story, and again, a lot of the things that that happened to you that that kicked you in the nuts and knocked you on your ass. I mean, you know, the the brilliance of the Never Quit podcast and uh, in in your Never Quit moment, like your your whole fucking life is that. Yes, you know, and again, like I had no idea that that a lot of these things happened to you and 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 what it did to you as a man and and uh, and as a human being in terms of your emotion and, and the and the heartbreak and and sacrifice and and ultimately your the the suffering that you know that that was a result of of a lot of these experiences that you went through and and to me like there at least from my perspective in you know for everybody listening if you want somebody to, you know for a mo- from a motivational speaking standpoint is that you know who who better honestly like than than a guy like you that that has has gone through it over and over and fucking over again and, and has tangible, no bullshit examples of this is what happened to me. I was fucking devastated and, and, and I hit the bottle and I, you know, like it, it's real, you know? And, and to me, like, I, I love to hear that. Um, and, and I, I just think it's a, it's such a fucking powerful message because a, it's real and B that's what your average, fucking human being can actually relate to like you see and, and i'm not picking on any other motivational speakers the tony robbins and the you know and, and the varner chucks and, and whoever else but i mean there, there are guys out there that like you don't hear that stuff about them really you know maybe they went through it maybe they didn't you know but mm-hmm. but you don't really get that from them and, and so it's almost i mean i wouldn't say it's necessarily smoke and mirrors but it's hard i think for a lot of people to relate when it's like yeah i grew this fucking business and you know i I went from this to this and like well what about the fucking the dash the in-between part of that 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 the rest of us are dealing with every goddamn day and to me like you've got so many fucking critical awesome examples of of what real people go through far more than myself even i mean i've certainly had plenty of kicks in the balls but but the way you you have the ability to uh, to to transcribe that verbally, you know, in, in a tangible manner to which people can understand, I think is fucking awesome. Thanks, brother. Yeah. I appreciate it. You know, one of the, and we talked a little bit about this before, is I I really have a lot of faith in human beings. I know it's it's a struggle nowadays. It can be hard sometimes. It can be hard, yeah. very hard sometimes, right? But I have a lot of faith in people. Um, maybe it's a downfall. Maybe it's not. You know, and I believe that. You know, it's easy, it's easy to project, you know, exceptionalism and, and success and all that stuff that's out there, but it's very difficult. And, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying that, you know, being weak or being vulnerable is, is uh, you know, more important or less. I'm just saying how I know now we come together in our greatest capacity where people can share common ground to find great solutions that make huge impacts in their world, right, is through the recognition that we all understand pain together, Mm -hmm. right? You know what heartbreak is like. I know what heartbreak. You and I can understand that. You know what physical suffering is like. I know what physical suffering is like. We can come to common grounds. You understand the suffering of building a business. I understand. So We should make out. We should go. Well, I'm (laughs) sleeping over tonight, aren't I? So... And you play your cards right. <laughs> you are a hot man, Mike. And so this, this pathway of pain is what we all experience. And yeah. so I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to come to it with, with as much honesty as, as, you know, as can be. Yeah. And, and was I going to play Division I football? Hell no, I'm not that good. 
Was I going to make it to damn Nick? Probably not. Hell no, I'm not that good, right? Am I going to be bigger than Tony Robbins? Hell no, I'm not that good. But what I know I can do is I can relay some information, whether it's through the Team Never Quit podcast, which is the whole idea, the whole reason why we started that thing was not to show and demonstrate the you know, the massive nature of these people's incredible stories, right? But to expose the bitter, horrific nature of the pain they had to endure in order to get to this point, whatever it may be, whether it's Diana Nyad swimming from Cuba to Florida, but it took her 32 years to do it. She did it at, what, 62 years old or something, right? Or Lara Logan being gang raped by 300 men in Tafar Square. That's not like a, a person's proudest moment, but it changed her perspective on everything. The most important things, her, the love for her husband, the love for her children. So that's my purpose. That's my meaning is to expose that commonality amongst all of our pain to show common ground. So at some point, at some time, all of us can recognize that no matter what, no matter how much of a pummeling the negative insurgency is giving us, that there is a way to stand back up, which is rooted in, our, in the love of ourselves, the love in our faith, whatever that might be, but most particularly, the love that we share with other human beings that yeah. want to come in and lift you up. Yeah. And that's the truth by which I try and live by. I mean, it's, it's, it's phenomenal and... and uh just in, incredibly uh, intriguing, and I mean the, the unique perspective that you bring is is remarkable. I mean, I mean it really is, and I, I love hearing all the stories on the podcast that you have. And I mean, it's funny. The next question I have written down is, "What is your why for starting Frog, frog Logic?" Like you, you, are, you just fucking answered it. <laughs> you know, um, don't be don't be cheating and reading the notes. <laughs> I'm gonna put up fucking blinders. Yeah, you need the blinders up. I'm gonna do the elementary school. Put my hand in front of. I'd still figure out where the mirror was so I could cheat on you anyway. Fucking orthodontist mirror. around the fucking corner, James Bond. You know, so to me, you know, again, the the transition that you've made to be able to capitalize on on both your experiences and and the commonality that that you find between people is is remarkable and fascinating. I, I would love to hear, and I know the the listeners would love to hear. You know, just some stories of some of the groups that you've worked with and some kind of pivotal moments in, in some of those experiences, whether it's sports teams, whether it's working with MMA fighters, kids, whatever. If you could maybe give us an example from each of the main categories that, that you've worked with that, that stand out as being special, remarkable. I know they all they all are in their own way to a certain extent, but just, uh, you know, if you could reduce it to, to a story from each category, I, I know I'd love to hear about it. Sure. Thank you for asking about that. Um so I'll start with uh, this uh, past winter. I had an opportunity through a, a, a good buddy, uh, Todd Owen, uh, who had a contact at uh, Oregon State at their baseball team. His son was interested in playing there and said, hey, man, I'd love to go do the, uh, something with you. And he got in touch with coaches. They said, yeah, come out. So I got to work with them. And what was remarkable is his coach is one of the winningest coaches. He's got an incredible program. They were you know, I think third in the nation last year in the World Series. I mean, amazing. And so I show up, and my big thing is, you know, how do you, how do you really pull together um, people on a team, right? How do we cross over without trying to, you know, 
you know, shove people, uh, certain ideas down people's throats that it, it has to be this way. I think y- y- we're so unique that the great challenge is to get those uniqueness, that uniqueness of everybody to work together for that common goal. And I mean, that's nothing new. So I spent, I, I, I said, hey, let me meet with the leaders of every every grade, or at least not freshmen, but sophomores, and spent about a half hour with each of them and came to the quick realization that these kids, they didn't really know what leadership was about. They didn't understand what commitment was about. They, you know, they were all great baseball players, but the idea was that if I, as long as I work hard and play hard, that's going to bring the team together, and that's just not the reality. So we had a great couple days together working with them, and they ended up winning the World Series this year. Um, so that was a profound thing for me. So you're a World Series champion, in other words. I, I'm I, no, I mean I, not yet. We're, we're getting there. So the the other one is with the I'm with the Boston Red Sox. I'm, this is my third year working with Boston, and you know initially it was coming in for a couple motivational speeches, and then this year we really wanted to expand um, and really you know help because um, they have a very young team. Really help the team find some common ground and as as to managing the pressures of 162 games of the business orientation the you know i mean it's really tough and it helped you know bring these guys together so they could support one another in another level now granted alex cora is one of the greatest managers i think you'll see he'll go down and he'll be a hall of famer there's no doubt he's just a really exceptional guy and the guys can connect with him you know yeah. I, I, plus, they have some of the best players in baseball, yeah. so it, that makes a difference. But one thing I think I've been able to help them do is to really say, hey, this is my role, and I can be happy with what my role is mm-hmm. and really and really utilize and not need to go out too far outside that role or anything and really uh, you know, g- empower these guys to be okay in whatever their role is. Yeah. And for you, that's rubbing icy hot into the... <laughs> like I, I get right up in Mookie Betts's, you know, and I, and I put icy hot you on You look tense, yeah, buddy. Yeah, Come yeah, over yeah. here for a minute. So, and right now, they just won their 90th game. They're one of the best teams in baseball, and they got a... They're, you know, they're on track to potentially win the World Series. So was it the first year you worked with them? Is that when they won the World Series? No, they, they were AL champions uh, two years ago, AL champions last year. Uh, AL East, I should say. You know, they're in the yep. same division as the Yankees. So they won division two years ago, won division last year, lost to Houston second round, and then this year they're, they they're I mean Checking they're expected ass. yeah they're yeah. expected to hopefully win it. So yeah. um, that uh, fighters much more difficult. Yeah, whole different craziness with fighters. Well, because I mean that's not you're not focusing on team. It's a hundred percent you know your. Well, there is team. What I've discovered there's a yeah. high reality a team and fighters are are tricky because they're they get in their heads a lot easier than most other athletes right Mm -hmm. and so it was a very interesting and i don't have a lot of experience two two heavyweights i worked i worked with stefan struve and i worked with uh, andre avlovsky and both great guys great fighters um but completely different mentalities and what i began to realize is that fighting there's a lot of antiquated concepts that exist within fighting, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of old school mentality. And so there's a lot of other things. These guys are, they're riding this emotional roller coaster, right? Cause it's all about top know, of the world. Yeah. The it's about, the yeah. You know, and it's, 
One minute you're the toughest dude there is, and the next minute you're a pile of shit because you lost, you got knocked out because maybe you didn't train right. Maybe you're nursing an injury. Maybe you changed your diet. Maybe you didn't get any sleep. Maybe you had to cut weight. The cutting weight thing in my mind is the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. That's crazy. Right? I mean, I watched one dude have to cut 17 pounds in in 10 hours for the last time I was in Chicago. Mm. How the hell is he supposed to get in? And, and I mean, so it's there's a lot of interesting aspects, but for me, fighting really is about as you're getting your your head kicked in, being able to stay focused and stick to a plan that is really well thought out against the specific component opponent you're fighting, yeah. and it's very challenging to do that. So that that was a very interesting thing. I, I'm I'm working with here's completely different. I'm working with a 15 year old tennis phenom, this little girl. I shouldn't call it a little young lady now, who just this summer, we, we've, I've been with her about two years. We've had a really amazing progress. We took her from about 300th to about 50th in the world. Uh, this, year, this summer, she was in her first French Open junior, Wimbledon junior. In fact, she's at uh, uh, going to her second uh, U.S. Open this year. She's getting killed in all of them uh, <laughs> because she's now playing the big, the, the big girl. Oh league, my right? God! Yeah. I mean, and yeah. some of these Russians and Chinese, and yeah. I mean, they're they're. I mean, there's you know, it's five. There's one girl. It's like five. She's seventeen. She's five eleven and like yeah. one sixty five, and hits like a freight train. But yeah. for her, it was you know being comfortable in what her strengths were, you know, and teaching. And how do you teach that to a, a little girl going through puberty, yeah. who's, you know, experiencing a bunch of other stuff? So that was real challenging. But yeah. but we were able to keep her focus in, in what her real strength is and not get distracted by the, the other side. So, I mean, that, to me, hearing, you know, these different examples uh, begs the question, at least in my mind, is, is there a almost a formula that you use where you kind of, okay, I go in, I evaluate, here's the problem. Like, do you tackle it like you would a, a, a fucking business, like the Bob's and fucking yeah. in the office space? Right. Like, are you going in there and, and doing kind of an, an evaluation and then you come up with a plan and, and it's, it's not cook, it's cookie cutter in terms of, of the, the steps of the process, but obviously the, 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 um, the values, the intangibles that, that are, are filling those, uh, those gaps in the formula are, are going to be all different and that, that affects the outcome or how, like, can you walk us through that? Probably? Yeah. So I, I believe that, or is that corporate and that's fucking, protecting? no, no, I, I, I think I, I, what I've come down to over, you know, cause I, I really have jumped into psychology, you know, when I was an SQT instructor, that's really where I became fascinated. And then in particular over the last five years, I've become a complete freak. Like, you know, I'm reading a book right now called uh, Positive Neuroscience, and, and it describes what uh, different types of chemicals are elicited by the fact that we touch each other and yeah. how we touch We're each gonna other. We're going to find out about Yo, that. Oh, it's day. coming, bro. I know how to stimulate that serotonin <laughs> in your brain, boy. I'm yeah. going to put your dopamine through the roof later. That's good because my, <laughs> my prostate needs checking. <laughs> I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. It's horrible, dude. <laughs> I fell into that one, didn't I? <laughs> um, so 
I, I believe there are four main components within the individual that you need to assess on a regular reoccurring basis. One, a person's ability to embrace and utilize fear as a positive aspect of life. Fear is the most negative thing that we are born with and taught our whole lives. And most people have no understanding at all what they're afraid of, why they're afraid of it, when it starts, when it doesn't, when it's triggered, they just don't at all. I mean, I'll be in front of a thousand people and say, when I'm doing my Embrace Fear speech, I'll be like, all right, who in here has written down everything they're afraid of from the time they were, when they were little, now, and in the future? Every little detail, everything here, whether it's spiders or this or that, every, you know, being financially secure, being a shitty dad, whatever. How many people have done it? And usually it's like two in the whole audience. Yeah. And they did it either one in college, right, in a psych 101 course or something, or their shrink or their psychologist made them do it because they're crashing, had a nervous breakdown or something like that, right? That's it. Nobody else does it. How come we spend so little time understanding our fear when it's the number one thing that inhibits our success, Mm -hmm. right? So I help people understand fear initially. Second one is self-confidence, right? Every single day, our self-confidence is under attack, whether we get shut down on, in business, shut down emotionally with other people. It's always under attack, right? Well, what are the steps you utilize to pick yourself back up every day? What is, what, do you look into yourself in the mirror? You put the stickies and you're like, I'm a good person. I really feel good. What does Stuart Smalls does? Yeah. I'm really good. Good enough, yeah. smart enough, and right. goddamn it, people like me. Yeah, right? Yeah. What do you do? What yeah. is the structure of yeah. self-confidence that you rehabilitate yourself after taking the blow? So self-confidence is a huge component for me. Next. Then... Do people understand how to interact with one another in a healthy medium, right? We do not achieve alone. I, I'm, I've, yeah, and I do, I've looked and searched history. I've, I've talked to, you know, I talked to incredibly successful people and athletes and all this, and not a single friggin' person yet, Mike, has said, I did it all by myself. Yeah, there's no such thing as self-made. Nothing yeah, yeah. doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. You know, even in the most negative aspects where people come from shit, getting punished, the people influencing that pain, that negative pain, right? Yeah. Provides them with the opportunity to figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever. So I call it the team life. Are people really understanding of what it means to be the team life? To, to submit to you know, other people's information. What can you teach me because you know better than I? And am I going to accept that in? Are people prepared to do that? I help them with that. And then finally, I, uh, the, the number one is purpose, right? Yeah. What is your purpose? And... I think so many people, like I'll ask that question right off the, all right, what's your purpose in life? Yeah. Oh, I want to be a good person. I want to have a long lasting effect on people. I want to, I want to be considered a good dad. I was like, that's fine and fucking dandy. <laughs> God bless you for saying that. How are you going to do it? Give me the details of it. What are the details of your purpose? And nobody has it. Yeah. And so I ask the people I work with, what is your purpose specifically? If your purpose, like this young girl, she wants to be number one in the world and she wants to achieve it by winning Wimbledon and holding that cup up and saying, this is it, I'm the number one in the world. That she's vividly seen, has known that since she was eight years old, Mm -hmm. right? So that's pretty easy with that purpose. Some of the other coach, like non-athletic or whatever coaching clients, I I want to, I want to, I want to be able to serve Oh yeah? How? Yeah. 
You know, you, you, you struggle serving your children. So much less serving greater humanity. You don't even know what the hell that looks like. So let's explore that. So those are the four components I start with, but no, everyone's different. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, obviously like uh, with each group or, or whether it's an individual group, whatever is that you've got, you know, certain timelines, I'm sure that, that, you know, impact, you know, yes. how, how in-depth the process is or isn't or whatever. But, um, for me, I believe, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I, 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 and I know you, you completely understand that with what you do for a living, right? I, I, I set the bar at the two year mark, right? Two years, right? If you really dig in and you apply yourself for two years, you can, you can restructure, the neuroplasticity, the emotional relevance, the behavioralism, you can, you can reevaluate all those and put them in a context where you have the skill sets to then go out and really go after or just live in a pretty healthy state, right? Yeah. Um, most people don't want to do two years at all, at mm. all. They don't even want to get near that. They don't even, when you tell them it's going to take you two years, they're like, Pfft. so I tell my clients, I say, listen, if let's, let's shoot for a year. If, if nothing's happening in, in six to nine months, then I'll walk away. You walk away. No hardship. Don't worry about it. Because, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, people say, well, you know, what, what, let's, do, let's do it for a month. And a month doesn't do shit, right? Yeah. Six months doesn't even do shit. You need to invest a minimum of a year yeah well i mean we were talking about this earlier the difference now like uh, some of it is i think technology social media the internet is the that right click <laughs> you know a amazon prime motherfucker <laughs> i want it this afternoon i now. ordered it two two minutes ago like where the fuck is it <laughs> you know but talking about like uh, descartes spending fucking 10, 10 years. years 10 years you know think about that like for for those of you listening and, and it was in response to the question i think i think therefore i, I, I am so yeah. spent 10 years in the fucking woods trying to figure out the, the follow on like that, that yeah. you know, and uh, like to me, I, I think, you know, as, as brilliant and um, life-saving in some instances and, and interesting and amazing technology is there, there is a double-edged sword. That's, that's uh, it's shattering that's, people's space time continuum. Yeah, and incredibly detrimental and, and negative uh, because of shit like that is, yep. is that there's like the, the impulsive nature and lack of patience that exists now is, is brutal. You know, I mean, there, there's just, there's no motherfucker. I want it right now. You know, I want it. I want it five minutes ago, you know, and, and uh, let alone in learning. Yeah. I mean, think about, I mean, yeah. that's, that's the satiation of material, ism or or the gratification of of whatever of of ownership or whatever but um, learning yeah. and think about learning that's why these kids are getting out of college you know these intensive degrees fucking millennials whatever i mean and <laughs> and e even even in our community right yeah. kids are finishing this two-year pipeline very intensive training around all non-stop mm -hmm. and they're like all right i'm good to go mm -hmm. and like bullshit you know, I, I didn't even, I listen, I, you know, what grand total is like 14 years carrying a gun. I still didn't know shit yeah. comparatively to, mm -hmm. to other people. I mean, you know, you and I have friends that did 20 plus years who were yeah. Jedi's and they'll come out and say, I still had a lot of stuff to learn. Yeah. I you mean, within the dog realm, it's the same thing. I mean, and, and you know, pick there, there's multiple layers, uh, very onion like in, in the dog industry, just like any industry or, or skill set, I guess. And that, you know, 
there's basic you know dog behavioral uh, issues to understand and reading you know nonverbal communication reading body language from dogs being able to use your both nonverbal skills and and reinforcement techniques to communicate but then what you know within the police and military realm there's there's bite work and, and controlled aggression, you know, which is a, you know, kind of a fucking oxymoron, right? And the dog themselves. Yeah, you know, but, you know, there's that, there's detection work, there's tracking, there's, you know, there's, there's a multitude of different disciplines within uh, the working dog communities that all are, are equally complex, but, but independent enough of one another to where they're their own fucking entity. And so, you know, people are like, well, I want to learn how to be a good decoy. And it's like, I hope you have a few years because it's going to take you that fucking long. I mean, it's, it's no different to me, like the skill sets within dog training and, and just like any of the things that your clients that you're working with that you're trying to make major paradigm shifts is it's no different than learning to be a carpenter, a fucking plumber, an electrician, you know, a, a stonemason. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Like it, it takes years to develop that even to get to a level where you, you would just say you can do it. Not great, but but you're you're competent enough to to meet the bare minimum fucking standard to say you're a goddamn carpenter, like you know. And it takes years to get to that point. Like, but but so few people realize that. Like it's you know whether it's training dogs or or rebuilding your fucking mentality or accomplishing a big life changing goal that way. Like it's on par with that. And and to me, like people need to understand that. I'll tell you the biggest one where I always find the greatest shortfalls with people is within their spiritual identity. And, I, and by no stretch am I a Bible thumper. I'm a Christian. You know, I'm, I got heavy faith, but I don't preach it on a regular basis. I probably should do more of it. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Um, <laughs> but, right, people putting, taking that leap of faith in their team, taking that leap of faith, you know, knowing they're going to be let down to a certain extent, but still believing in one another to to you know, come through the fire, right? To live the righteous life, to do that. And, and man, I talk to people about faith and they, they're like, oh, I'm not going to do that. Well, listen, I, I'm, I've, I've been working at it. Literally. I, I got saved in 2010 before my first child, right before I was deploying with the agency. Uh, and, and I just was like, man, if I don't do it now, I'm going to get blown up. I'm going to die. My kid's going to be born. I'm going to, that's going to freak me out. I, so I got saved and I realized, holy shit, I wasn't even prepared to do that, man. So, you know, and now as I'm trying to become more educated on on that process, man, you can you can last, I mean, could it take eternity for me to actually be right with God? How long is that? Well, it's forever, Dave. <laughs> forever. But people don't think about forever. No, I know. It's a, I mean, it's it's a it's an impossibility to, to really quantify. You know, it's like space. You know, it's like how how the can it go on forever? You know? Of space. Yeah. So when you know when I say to people, I said, if you can rewrite your your misconstrued desires of of completion. And set yourself in a moment of eternal growth and, and evolution, man, you will free yourself up for the advancement you need to make day in and day out. The incremental, the might, the miniature little adjustments that that really over the 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 the, the expanse of our time on this planet, 
man, now you're going to be in the right frame of mind. But that people don't want to hear that shit, dude. I mean, to me, the easiest way to boil that down is it's the micro decisions, you know, fall on the right side of the micro decision way more often than not. You're not going to do it every time, but, but make that conscious decision every fucking time, whether it's the smallest decision of, am I hitting snooze or am I going for a run or am I eating the blizzard or am I having the salad? Like, Whatever the fuck it is, you know. The words I choose to use, yeah. right? Yeah, I could use maybe some help with that. <laughs> no, brother. <laughs> we talked about it beforehand, yeah, right? Is the genuine nature of who we are, yeah. right? And, and how we bring. What is it more? Does it benefit you more through conformity to access greater? No, hell no. Yeah, no. Or, or does it benefit you more to truly live as it, within your spectrum of belief. Yeah. And if that's the case and you believe that, then, you know, hey, try showing other people that same respect and yeah. allowing that yeah, to yeah. exist for them to believe in what they believe in as well, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, so. just, I mean, yeah, I mean, mind your business. Let her, you know, you do you, mind your business and let everybody do their own fucking thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we got athletes and um, I guess the two, the two that I'm still curious about is uh, any you know, kind of Fortune 500 good stories, companies you've worked with that you have a good, uh, you know, something, a takeaway that you can pass to the audience. Uh, and then also, obviously, with kids because they're as, you know, yeah. the children are our future. Right? I, I'm not the great corporate guy like Brent Gleason is or, you know, people that have started these insane businesses. I mean, Brent's company was on you know, Inc. 5,000 fastest top 200 for six out of the seven years, right? He was CEO of the year and all that stuff. I, that's not what I specialize. I leave that to Jocko, uh, you know, the running a company, all that. What I help organizations with is inspiring their people, right? Getting people to be better, right? Getting people to come to work every day and willing to, you know, take it on the chin that they're going to go in and clean the shitter, Right. Because I had to clean so many shitters in the teams, right? That was the glory of the SEAL teams for me was I I cleaned a lot of bathrooms. So how do you teach an individual or a group of people, hey, that that is a relevant role? It has to be done. But you don't gauge that reality by the nature of the importance of what you play, right? Mm -hmm. And, And that's tough for organizations, right? How do we, and what's happening now is you have, because everybody's running lean, everybody's understaffed, nobody has training, nobody, none of this stuff is present. So what happens? You're kicking ass in a company, whether you're a sales guy or you're in whatever, and Guess what? I'm the CEO. Guess what, Mike? Guess you're now the new uh, um, senior. You're the vice president of management, and and man, I'm going to put you in charge of 50 people. Fucking a right, you are. <laughs> <laughs> but yet you've never managed yeah, anything other than yourself. That's right? all right. Yeah. So what's happening? <laughs> These people are start, and then they crash and burn. And yeah. and so what I try and do is say, hey, listen, I try and help with coaching, right? Because part of Managing is managing, coaching other people into believing in themselves, finding uh, that motivational trigger, uh, enduring the the monotony or the you know the 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 work or right everybody's backstabbing each other in companies and yeah. how do you deal with all that and how do you stay focused? So that's what my specialty is: is really helping organizations and people 
not be deterred from the hardships that it is the grind of every day. And mm-hmm. uh, I worked I worked with one organization for about six years uh, and their sales staff and helping, you know, I'd also give speeches. They were wholesalers within the financial world. And so I'd show up and I'd give speeches to their clients, but I'd spend the whole day with them in their cars driving from one you know event to the other. And I'd, I'd start helping them. I'd coach them. And many of the people that I, like, I'll never forget this one guy in particular, he had come off a desk, right, where he was a helper of one of the wholesalers, and they gave him New York City, right? One of the biggest opportunities, if you're in a financial world and you're selling financial products, New York City's it. He was a deer in the headlights. He was like, and I was with him like his first big day, and uh, Mike, I swear to God, I think he was going to shit his pants, dude. It was hilarious. (laughs) So we went into the first one. I did it. He was like, whoa. Came out, we, and we spent the next five hours before our night one dissecting who he is, where he's from, what are his strengths, what are his weaknesses, all that stuff on an emotional level, cognitive level, behavioral level. And then, you know, he used me, I think, two or three times that year. We, we would text. Uh, that year, he didn't quite finish number one, but the next year he was number one and has subsequently been number one in the company for, I think, three years in a row. Oh, shit. So that was a wonderful part, uh, a a specific thing in the corporate world for me. That's got to be incredibly validating, you know, working with all these people and and seeing the results and, and, you know, whether it's, you know, team building or inspiring them to, to find their purpose or, or helping them achieve it or, or whatever. I mean, to me, that's what it's all about. I, you know, same thing. Like when I, uh, you know, with a lot of the online training, I do seeing people get good results out of their dogs. I mean, like, can you put that? That's in? why you do it. Yeah. That's the purpose, right? Yeah. Yep. It's not about, yes, it's great to have a business, run a business, get paid and live and, you know, be successful. But man, it's about seeing the results and, and really the great joy in all of life is, you know, seeing people, other people succeed through what you share and, you know, to, you know, to kind of wrap it up with children, right. That's my greatest thing that there is. I mean, there's by far, it's the most important thing in my life uh, is when you see a child um, get some of these core things, the light goes on, they make the shift, they succeed, then they get knocked down and they don't stay down. They get back up and they don't linger in that, that void of uncertainty through, you know, not understanding identity and all these other child development stuff. But so there was one guy in particular that I had met through a a person that had helped me physically with some stuff. And she was a single mom and her son and I connected and, uh, Oh, well I couldn't pay her for her service because I just fresh out of the military and I didn't have anything. And so we kind of borrowed. She, she's like, well, I've got a son. He's 12. He wants to learn how to play football on the cross. Bambo, right? <laughs> yep, I'm there. That's what I, I'm real good at that. Yeah. So we started working together, and it, rapid, it rapidly became more than that because he didn't have a prominent father figure in the picture. And so we bonded through this other stuff. And we worked together, you know, until – he was probably 15, 16, where he was starting on the football team. He was in Who's Who of America. He was got great grades. He was doing all this. And then I became arrogant in my influence and had really set an un, 
you know, an unrealistic spectrum of, 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 of fulfillment with me saying, if you don't do what I tell you to do, if you mess it up once, I'm done, we're done. And mm. I'll walk away, which when you think about what's the greatest thing that would detriment this kid would to be abandon him like yeah. he was abandoned by his father. Right. But I was an idiot, which in too much degree, I still make horrible decisions <laughs> today because I am a very dense person. It takes me a long time. Anyways, he really struggled for a bunch of years. He came back uh, humbled. I was humbled. I felt horrible. Uh, we reconnected and started. And at this time, I was just, I just wanted to be supportive. And I had a di completely different ideology now. And we connected again. And very soon after that, he's like, hey, you know, I, I, I'd like to become, I think I want to be a SEAL. And I was like, whoa, that's heavy. And he's like, I think this is why. And he had written down everything that I taught him way back when he was a kid that I didn't think he was paying any attention to. Yeah. He had all of that done yeah. when he brought this to me. I mean, really yeah, amazing awesome. stuff. And so then I was just like, wow, it did set, it did sink in. So I was like, and he's like, will you help me? And I was like, okay. And the, the guy now is in his, you know, second platoon. Oh, no shit. Yeah, he, Man, he's, awesome. he's married. He has a child. He's one of the most incredible frogmen I've ever met in my entire life. He has an incredible future ahead of him. But the most important thing about him is that his moral integrity, which I did not have much of in the teams, and I think that's why I did not have the career I had hoped I would have because I was too busy being selfish. I was too busy with a moral ambiguity that was detrimental to me being the best possible frogman I could. He has that stuff. And so for the, that's what really is the most fulfilling is that he is a good man. Yes, he's a phenomenal frogman. Yes, he's a pipe ever. Yes, all that. But he's a good man. Yeah. And for me, that's the greatest thing that could ever happen. No, I agree. And, and uh to me, one of the things that uh, that I'm most impressed by in terms of your character is is your recurring ability to be honest in terms of self evaluation and and be not overly hard on yourself, but but just honest, you know, and, and not being egotistically blind, you know, to to issues, faults that you that you have or, or mistakes that you made and. I mean, obviously, that's the recipe for success for any any human being to grow is to, I mean, step one is is denial. No, <laughs> step, step, step one is... Wait, uh, isn't that a different... Yeah. Isn't that I've been steps? on that yeah. train too, yeah. brother. Yeah. <laughs> 12-step fuck wrong meeting. Sorry. Thought, Should we start the meeting thought, right now we or a, later? We're in a different kind of conference, conversation, conference here. But, uh, no, I mean, you know, the first... That'll step. be rut part due. Yeah, no, shit. Get you, get you back on yeah. here talk about the 12 steps. <laughs> Um, you know, is, is being honest with yourself and re and realize, you know, taking ownership for your, your fuck ups, you know? And, and to me, that's, I tell people this all the time, you know, the, the single most important lesson I learned in the SEAL teams and, and took away from that is, is exactly that is personal fucking responsibility Amen. is that every one of us is far from perfect. We're, we're all gloriously imperfect you know, and the difference between assholes and, and, and people that legitimately grow and ultimately learn from their mistakes and become successful uh, in spite of them uh, are, are people that do exactly that is, is, is you can be honest with yourself and saying, man, I fucked that up, you know, and, and here's, here's how I'm not going to make that mistake again, you know, and, and to me, that that's my, 
my biggest advice to to young groups, you know, because I get asked a lot too, like you know, to do either like either leadership things or, or uh, talking to young kids that want to join the military or I want to, you know, this is the goal I want to have. And you join, you know, buds at fucking 17, you know, what advice? And it's that it's, you're not going to be perfect. You know, stop getting your fucking feelings hurt. Don't be the victim and take responsibility for your shit. Amen. It's like, it's like team guy, platoon one, one Oh one, you know, it's like it's life one Oh one. But I mean, like the, the, the unique and beautiful, aspect to being you know in, in the something like the seal teams especially for me at that age that I'll, i'm forever grateful for is you know th- th- there's not a fucking choice with that not you know like you're gonna learn that shit or it's gonna be fucking beat into you which happened many times yeah, to me. You know, but, but <laughs> it, it's it's not a you know you know let's let me counsel you and no, no it's like we're gonna drag you out by your fucking hair happy ta- hat yeah tape your ass up and electrocute <laughs> you until you figure out how fucked up you are and, and 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 god help you if if you point the finger at somebody else and don't say you know yeah i fucked that up won't happen again like that's the only you know it's answer the only answer yeah that, that is the only acceptable answer is yes i am fucked up and it won't happen again yeah. you know and, and so few people there, there. To me, there's, there's a systemic problem in our society where, where there's such a lack of, of that. You know, oh, but, everybody wants someone else to take responsibility yeah. for themselves, and you yeah. know, the, the, I, the sense of failure is such an essential component of your growth and your character. Mm-hmm. And listen, I, I have failed and failed and failed and failed and failed, and each new time, I'm, you know, it, it's funny. You know, when when I first when I first started in college, it was four years. Post military, it was three years, and then it got down to a year. And then, you know, my divorce. You know, uh, it was like, man, it was, it was relatively a short amount of time that it devastated that it devastated me. Yeah. It was only a very. It was probably, you know, five months before I was like, okay. And then within. Eight months, I had worked through the main component issue that I had to deal with because I had to. Gr- I knew what to do. I knew how to handle it. Mm-hmm. And then, bam, I'm back into it. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just like we were talking about, whether it's teaching dogs to take stress and bite work or as young puppies or raising kids to, to overcome obstacles, it's that same thing. It's that, you know, you're, you're building your threshold in terms of how, how big and negatively it, it impacts you for, for an, a period of time, and, and you kind of learn how to deal with it better, better each time. Amen. It's, it's like- Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Like with everything, but... Amen. It's fascinating stuff. Um, as we kind of close the uh, the episode here, I... I you know, I'd like to ask you kind of now what, you know, what, like, what are you doing? What are you focusing on? What, what, I know there's a ton of shit, yeah. but can you, you know, if you can let, let everybody know like what you're doing, where they can find yeah. you, you know, all that kind of stuff. Thank you, Mike. Um, we've got some incredible things happening. We're coming up on our, I think you're, you'll, you'll drop this after our hundredth show, yeah. which is going to be a, a, a real big show. Well, this uh, is live. You didn't know that? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's out right now. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> I thought we were going to edit up all the shit that I suck at. I thought you'd only put in a fraction yeah. of it. No, right? it's Facebook live, yeah, buddy. That's awesome. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't tell you that. Nope. Yeah. And, um, so we got a big show coming up. We got, um, Rob O'Neill for our hundred show to come on. You know, he and I went through hell week together. Yeah. Uh, he's coming on. He and Marcus had never done anything together. And it, it's just one of those really amazing shows. The humility that those two guys sh- shared with one another and, and to be, you know, and to witness that it was really, really a cool experience, um, to, to, to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, so, and we're about ready potentially, we're hoping we're working on a big deal to take the show to the next level to where it becomes, more national and unknown thing across, across demographics, like, like syndicated almost. Uh, we're, we're, we're potentially through yeah. a radio network and stuff. Well, you know, we'll hold pray, cross yeah. figures. A lot, of, a lot of hurdles we got to cr- cross. Um, but it's it's doing well. We're really happy um, with where it's going. Professionally, I'm getting ready to release my next kids book. I'm almost done with my next adult book. Uh, my speaking, you know, is really kind of you know still still doing well and. You know, I'll probably do, I don't know, maybe seven events this year. Um, uh, I'm working with more and more teams. Uh, hopefully, if the Red Sox, uh, if it all comes to fruition, I'll be a, a collegiate World Series champion and then a World <laughs> yeah. Series champion this year. Yeah. And, and, you know, that would be pretty yeah. a, a pretty amazing experience. Uh, my biggest thing for sure, though, for me is uh, my, my girlfriend and her children and integrating them with my girls and me. Um, to really come to that point where I can grow as a father with four girls, yeah. uh, to become a better man, to become a, a better lover, a better uh, person in that space, to get back to more routines to take care of myself, yeah. uh, all that. Um, if you want to follow us, uh, it's simple. Just go to iTunes or any podcasting app. Go to the search, type in Team Never Quit. We'll pop right up. Subscribe. You got us in your ear 24-7. For me personally, you can follow me on all social media platforms uh, at Team Frog Logic. That's at Team Frog Logic, all one word. Or go to TeamFrogLogic.com uh, where I, you know, on the social media on Insta, I post a daily dose of motivation just about every day out yeah. there. Um, and, and that's where I'm at, man. That's what's going on. So. Well, it's fantastic shit, and, and you know I've I've listened to a number of the podcasts. It's a it's a phenomenal show. Like I said, the the element of of that never quit mentality, especially with you know Marcus being who he is and what he's been through in conjunction with all of the fucking you know tribulations that you've uh, managed to to gut it out you know in and and around. And and uh, to me, it's just it's such a neat fit. It's such a great message. Uh, and again, uh, you know. I, 
this is this is me, Mike from Mike Drop, telling you. I'm not asking you, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm telling you. Go listen to it uh, or choke yourself, like I tell everybody. Uh, we're gonna have some T-shirts here soon with some shit like that on it. But, uh, <laughs> but so uh, positive, yeah, uh, so positive. Yeah, I'm so yourself. happy that yeah, yeah. our three-hour conversation, my positivity, rubbed <laughs> off on you, bud. That's that's late. But it hasn't we're, we're, for 20 yeah, years. So yeah. why should I? Why should I hope it should now? I mean, I, I keep it. I feel like it's positive. <laughs> Uh, it's that stress threshold building up choke yourself until you get better at it um the one thing you know whether you know you or, or anybody else i i do uh like to end it on on a note uh, or at least for us i guess in terms of appreciation you know we I, I like to start my day uh you know thinking about that and writing something down that i'm that i appreciate or that i'm grateful for um i'd love to give give you an opportunity to to close it out here with uh, with just a, a note of appreciation that you have for whatever it is, whether it's personal, professional, both, uh, you know, have have at it. Thank you. Uh, my first biggest thing I'm appreciative of, and I and as you know, I, as we get older, we're really and we know the clock is ticking um, significantly. I try and be appreciative in the moment as much as humanly possible, and so I am beyond appreciative of you. Um, you are a master of what you do for a living, but there's a depth to you that I don't think a lot of people really understand. People that are listening to this show are beginning to realize it because you're, you know, it it proves in your, the numbers you're having, which is a remarkable success in a short amount of time. And that's systemic of who you are. And so, you know, to have been, to be friends with you for as long as we are and to watch you grow and to watch you turn into the man you are and to go through all the things you've gone through. And, you know, I, it, you're as, as inspiring as anybody I've ever met. And I'm, I'm, I'm deeply honored to be on your show, but more honored to be friends with you. I remember calling you and talking to you last year a couple of times and man, you really had a huge impact me in my time of need. And, and I just want to say how appreciative of that I am, brother. Well, goddamn, Dave! I tell you, I'm, I'm about getting choked up over here, fucking hearing you say that. I mean, I, I, uh, I mean, the only thing I can say is I'm humbled by uh, by your words. I, I really am because I, uh, I don't see that you know uh, element in, in me, but it's but there, I, bro. But I, I'm, I, I'm both humbled and appreciated that uh, that you feel that way, and uh, and I can't thank you enough for for your friendship, for coming on here. Uh, and and just everything that you are, man. I, I appreciate it. Love you, brother. And uh, it's been fucking great having you on here. But, Love you too, man. Right. In, in keeping in tradition with uh, the appreciation, one thing that I, I do, I, I always have to have to end end the show with is is showing my appreciation for for you guys, the listeners. Um, you know, and, and I know Dave feels the same way about his his supporters. Is that uh, you know this shit wouldn't exist without you guys and uh i don't give a shit if you get tired of hearing me say it Uh, i'm gonna say it every show uh because i do i I honestly and truly deeply appreciate uh the support and the fact that that as many of you do uh take the time out of your day with all the other brilliant podcasts out there uh are, are taking the time to listen to a couple knuckle draggers like us uh you know wax poetic on uh on our lives and missteps uh, you know, to to have that audience and and that platform is uh, is not just humbling. It's uh, 
you know, it's, it's life changing. You know, it, it, it really is. I would have never thought I'd be in this position and, and I, I, neither one of us would be here without you guys. So thank you for listening. Dave and I both love you to death. We're going to go make out now, uh, over some barbecue and, uh, and, uh, he's going to earn his stripes here, Texas style. And, uh, but anyway, um, in true dry, mic drop fashion, I appreciate everything that you guys are and, and, and all that you do. Uh, and uh, thanks again, Dave. Appreciate appreciate you coming on, yeah. brother. It's been awesome. As, yeah. as always, we'll have you on again and, uh, and get deeper into some of these things. But uh, until next time, this is Mic Drop. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah Woo-hoo! often thinks about the old boring Sarah. Yes. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over 100 casino-style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained. Covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained. Covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets, on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.